0: Hey everybody, welcome to Mark Bell's Power Project Podcast, hosted by Mark Bell, co-hosted by Insima Iang and myself, Andrew Zaragoza. This episode was recorded on July 17th, and this one was a straight-up grand slam. The, uh, just a phenomenal episode for you guys today. This man needs no introduction. He goes by the name of Flex Wheeler. You already know who he is, so I don't need to waste any more of your guys' time. All, I'm, all I want to tell you guys is that I legit, uh, I laughed, I cried, and I was inspired by our conversation you guys are going to love this if you do please reach out to us at mark Bows power project on instagram at mb power project on twitter we're on uh, youtube facebook all over the place um, it just let us know what you guys think about this episode uh, a, a real quick a, another thank you to flex wheeler for spending so much time with us Uh, i don't know if we'll ever be able to thank you enough for this conversation but we just sincerely appreciate you thank you so much sir uh ladies and gentlemen that's it for me please enjoy this phenomenal episode with the legendary flex wheeler ready to hop on in yeah let's roll rolling now (laughs) roll it yep we're good to go all right fired up for today
1: yeah today's show we got flex wheeler on the show, I'm super excited for that. Um, Flex is, uh, you know, accomplished just about everything you can possibly think of in bodybuilding, and one of the things that I think is really cool about him is he's known as having like the best physique of all time like he's known for uh, a lot of other lifters a lot of other uh, bodybuilders rather I hit up uh, Jake Cutler today and just told him hey I have flex on the show today and he's like best physique ever like that's all he said it's like <laughs> hands down best physique ever so it'll be great to talk to the guys had the best physique ever along with he's had some health issues over the years um, he had a car accident in 1994 that was devastating um, but he still was able to come back from that and then I just don't really remember uh, I got some vague uh, memory of a kidney uh, issue that he had, which I believe is hereditary, something that may run in his family or something like that. And then, of course, uh, everyone's going to just pin it to performance-enhancing drugs, because that's pretty prominent in bodybuilding. Uh, but he always just said it was a hereditary thing. I- either case, it's like something that he had to deal with. Um, I think it was like kind of smack dab in the middle of his career. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to you know fi- find out how the heck... <laughs> How did did you have some serious illness when you're trying to make your body as big and as lean, as uh, strong looking as possible and still step on the stage with
2: Dorian Yates and Ronnie Coleman and all those mutants? I think as far as that issue is concerned, I think he did mention that the PEDs did speed that up. Mm. So I think he did mention that, but it's going to be really interesting to talk about. The thing that I just find that's that's so crappy, though, is I feel like if Flex was flex now like in his back when he was competing then he'd be winning olympia's right and left but i just think yeah, when you have ronnie and like everything dorian yates yeah. and everything's based off of mass monsters ah, that's just a difficult time to be a great bodybuilder yeah that's the way that the
1: balance at that time was swinging towards just being massive just towards being huge and it was hard when you whenever you saw ronnie coleman next to somebody it just didn't make any sense you're like, how could I possibly give a trophy to anybody else except for that guy? Yeah. (laughs) He really stood out. Like, he he looked like a different species than a lot of people that were up there. He's also pretty tall, Mm -hmm. you know? And they just had, like, a great uh, – beyond having, like, a a presence behind him, he just – really freaking wide shoulders like things that I I don't know how you I think you just I think you just have it yeah some people just have it he had kind of the full combination Uh, but what I also like about Flex Wheeler is the other athletic background that he has with like martial arts Mm -hmm. I think it'd be interesting to talk to him about that he always kept his mobility like that's kind of the the reason why his name Flex Uh, not only can he flex but he's flexible he wrote a whole book about it and uh, yeah he could do splits yeah when he was on stage he was amazing mm-hmm. um and I, and I, even on stage he was like a, uh, an amazing performer mm-hmm. i think he brought performance uh to bodybuilding not not that it was never there before but i think that uh he kind of highlighted it and he was the like epitome of it and then on top of that i was telling andrew i was like i don't think i remember like nice cars and things like that being associated with bodybuilding until he came around. Mm. it was him and a couple other guys at the time. you would see in the bodybuilding magazines they would be kind of associated with these nicer sports cars and and kind of living a lifestyle that was um, maybe like a rock star lifestyle like that that you didn't know you didn't, weren't aware of like I never heard of that about Arnold before you know I, until Arnold you know later on was obviously multimillionaire from the movies and stuff but mm. You know, you just didn't think of those things. And I remember seeing those guys pull up to Gold's Gym in Venice when I used to train there. And they always had some beautiful sports car. And you're like, how do they fit in there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how does a guy with 22-inch arms squeeze into a thing like that? You know, especially how big their legs are. And and then, you know, uh, Flex, also he trained with Charles Glass. Um, he also um, had a training partner that's one of the biggest bodybuilders of all time, Paul DeLette. Just absolutely massive. I don't know if you've ever seen that guy, but if we bring up some pictures of him, he had the craziest, squiggliest veins in his like shoulders and chest that you've ever seen. Um, and so it'd be interesting, yeah, to kind of get to the bottom of... There's a lot of these uh, great bodybuilders from the past that they they kind of never got over the hump. And so I'd, I'd love to hear some of his take. I'm sure he's not going to, you know, uh, throw any of his boys under the bus. But it would be interesting to know, like, did they just not diet all the way down? When you say get over like, the hump, what do you mean? Yeah, just like some of these guys not winning some of the bigger, bigger shows, you know. And I'm not talking about Flex specifically, because yeah. I know that Flex, he... Uh, didn't he? Unfortunately, didn't win a Mister Olympia. So that's something that has always kind of uh, lingered for him. But he won everything. So like, I'm not even talking about him. I'm talking about mm-hmm. some of the guys uh, that he trained with, like Paul Dillette, Like that guy, he he was a great bodybuilder as well. I mean, again, he's one of the bigger bodybuilders. But when it came to the bigger shows that you thought that he was going to win, he usually would uh, underperform. And it'd be interesting to kind of know why. You know, I don't know bodybuilding that well. I don't know bodybuilding on the level that these guys know it. And I would imagine like travel, like just anything, like anything could probably set you uh, off in the wrong direction. And you have to become good at all of it. As we saw with uh, some of the uh, documentary of uh, Ronnie Coleman. It's like, man, there's a lot that goes into this. It's not just, they talked about how Ronnie Coleman would, would go around with this giant bag. He had this huge, huge bag that he would like lug around. And the other guys were like, what are you doing, man? He's like, I got all my meals. Like mm-hmm. he was <laughs> trying to be as meticulous as he
0: possibly could. And the other guys would make fun of him. Yeah. I still have to check that documentary out. Ah,
2: it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. it's pretty good. I think Flex Wheeler used to be a cop too. He did. He, 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 yeah, he was a cop for a little bit. <laughs> him and Ronnie both were. But when I, okay, I, I, what I got to clarify and I got to ask is, is the name Flex. Because, like, you, you see a lot of bodybuilders later on named Flex. Did those guys just change their names? And was his original name Flex, or did he, like, change the Flex because it fits so well? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, there he is. We'll see. This is where we get to see his patience. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, there we go. We oh, got he's him. He's on the phone. Oh. all okay. time, geez. Yeah,
1: that's the um, phone. So I think
3: it's for, so, like, is- amateur hour at the Apollo right now, Matt.
1: <laughs> yeah i think we i think we got you i think we you know we figured we figured it out i'm loving the beard by the way
3: thank you thank you uh, it's my uh my new approach here i'm not going to save i'm working on my grizzly adam's work
1: <laughs> flex my- i gotta uh you know kind of start off
3: you, a little uh for you guys
1: <laughs> <laughs> i got to uh start off by um you know, first of all, saying that it was like some years ago. I mean, man, we're probably going back about 10 or 11 years. Can you hear us? Okay.
0: Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, fine. good. Thank
1: you. Yeah, it's probably going back now, like 10 or 11 years ago that I went to the Olympia with my slingshot product and with, uh, kind of the first edition of power magazine, but you were behind us getting a booth there. And I, I don't think I ever even had an opportunity to like, thank you for it. I don't know if you remember like, uh, Stan, you know, you were training Stan at the time. So I'm sure you remember some of that, but Stan was probably telling you, Hey, I know this, uh, this guy out in Sacramento who's, you know, starting this magazine and maybe you can pull some strings and you pulled some strings for us and we were able to get a booth there. So really appreciate that. That was, uh, that was huge.
3: No, I didn't even know if you remembered or not, cause I, I actually, I, I never got the check in the mail or anything. Um,
1: <laughs> I just, uh, oh yeah, it's probably, a, like, um, I, I have no, a different uh, style also of bank I account. I
3: to, on, on behalf of that, just say, uh, congratulations on your 10 year anniversary with the shot. That's amazing that you've Thank done you. some incredibly impressive things since then
1: thank you i appreciate it i remember being down at gold's gym venice uh years and years ago probably over 20 years ago and and kind of seeing uh you and a lot of the other bodybuilders at that time it was just there were so many legendary bodybuilders in there at one time and then even before i got there uh you know you dating back to like you got the barbarian brothers in there and obviously uh mike o'hearn i think he's become like part of the uh furniture in there at this point he's been in there for so long um can you that wasn't good. <laughs> Can you uh, talk to us about uh, some of the early days of Gold's Gym and what it was like? Because uh, you guys were uh, competitive with each other. You guys would get on stage and compete against each other and stuff like that. So, what was that like?
3: You know what? It's it's uh, it's hard to explain. Uh, it was such, for one, I was so green and I didn't know. I didn't know I was a part of time because truly that was just. That was a time where you had any A-list actor walk through the door. Any A-list uh, model walk through the door. Um, you know, I remember Olympic uh, gold champions. You know, when the Bulls came, they would come there. Every, you know, whoever was would be there. And I've seen so many amazing um, actors. But it was like, when you walk through that door, you just deleted who you are. And you're nobody. You know, it was just like one big family. Nobody walked around arrogantly whether they were. You know, a Oscar winner or anything like that because, you know, they'd be putting their place really, really quick. <laughs> uh, um, so it was just so beautiful. I mean, you know, um, I remember the first time I met um, this Olympic gold medalist. I'm trying to think of her name. Um, gosh, her husband was a coach. Um, she was married to Flojo's brother or, or something. I'm trying to think of the uh, yeah. other, um, I can't think of her name, but. You know she had just won her gold medal and i walked by and i'm like wow you know congratulations i'm a huge fan she goes thanks like and i kind of just stopped and i'm like she knows my name oh you know are you kidding me but just that it was just it was a, such an amazing time man but um you know i no disrespect to any other gym you know no disrespect to any other gym but it was just a beautiful nucleus there. I mean, obviously they had the best equipment, you know, yeah. whenever the newest machine would come in, they would have it there and just, it was just a place where you went in and you just felt like getting down, you know, you just, you went in there, you just felt like, you know, it was like magic, something in the air. It just, you just felt like training hard and just to, uh, you know, it's unexplainable. It's unfortunate that those days are kind of gone now. And, uh, you know, but I remember, you know, we would, if you were up some statue you know well not some statue but you had to be pretty up there you just pull up right in front of the door and park your car <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> I remember those were the days you just pull right up in front of the car you know front door just park your car there and just go in and train and nobody would say anything but um it was magic, man. It was
1: magic. I remember me and my brother would be so confused by the bodybuilders, especially like Paul Delette. We used to like watch him park his car because he would wait like a half an hour just to park like super close to the <laughs> to the yeah. So I don't think he wanted to walk. Yeah, and then I, plus, I you, you guys had nice cars.
3: Like, you could just walk across. The I'm like, why? I'm like why? You know. And I would do the same thing. We would just sit there if it wasn't a parking. We'd just sit there and wait. You know. Um, but it, it was an amazing time. Uh, it it was truly an honor to compete back there and just to have any uh, of the other uh, prolific um, actors or or athletes I mean you know Kobe and everybody uh, would come through the door uh, you know every I can't even think of some of the world champion heavyweights that would come through the door the rock would come there and and work out and I remember before he even made it big uh, he would come and have breakfast at us every morning and uh, Rico and Chris and all of them knew who who he was but I wasn't really into wrestling back then and It'd be like six of us every morning, you know, uh, having a, you know, like brunch after training and he'd sit there and we'd be talking and I would hardly ever say anything to him because I'm just, I'm not, I'm not the type of person who likes to invade somebody else's space. You know, if me and you are talking and you have a close friend there, I'm not going to really engage with him that much because he's not my friend. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. So (laughs) anyway, dude, I don't know you. Right. So I, I wait until I build that type of relationship before I engage like that. And uh, I remember after a couple of times, Rico was like, you know, obviously Rico is so close to me, but if like, Flex, you know, why are you being such a dick? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not like, being a dick. He goes, dude, man, he goes, man, you know, Rock's sitting there. You never seen that until I'm like, I don't know, dude, I ain't going to like sit up there and like chat it up with him like I noticed, dude, you know, like some knucklehead because I hate people to do that to me, right? I feel so bad about it that I, I actually had seen Rock in a gym a few days later and I, I walked up to him. And I just like, hey man, you know, I just, you know, I want to apologize, you know, for being a dick. He's like, really? He goes, I never thought you were a dick flex. I'm like, well, you know, Rico said I'm, I'm rude. I never talked. He goes, yes, I never thought that. I always thought you were a respectful guy. You know, he just always liked you. I'm like, yeah, Rico just made it like a dick. Like, oh, I respect that, man. You know, and I was like, what? He's like, you know, flex, you know, I love bodybuilding, you know, um, also, you know, I went to compete too. I'm like, yeah, get out of here, man. He goes, what? So I'm going to lie to you. I'm like, oh yeah, cool, man. Right on. I'm just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was just beautiful, man. Uh, you know, and, and again, just to have people that you admired your whole life watch on screen or compete or whatever to go in there and mostly nobody had an attitude. It was just, it was an amazing time.
1: A freak show in there. You'd see like Hulk Hogan in there, and uh, yep. Stone Cold yep. Steve Austin, Carl Lewis, uh, Rocky Carl Balboa. Lewis. You know, S- Sylvester Stallone, Link,
3: uh, Arnold, uh, uh, Van Dam. I mean, you'd yeah. uh, Lyle Alvedo. uh You, know, you <laughs> go way back, not to mention every historical bodybuilder you can imagine. Um, even some of the great actors' names. I can't freaking think of the names right now. Um, God, I'm embarrassed. Kenneth. I don't even like make myself look worse, but just. <laughs> anyone around the 80s and 90s who was this at the top of their class came in that place and they got down because it was a place to go to now like yourself i remember the first time i went there um, after i won the california championship in in 89 that was probably before you were born huh <laughs>
1: 76 you know,
3: just <laughs> but, uh, but uh 1989 i remember i was just so giddy just looking around like oh my god this is the place you know and Later on, you know, just feeling like, you know, I, I paid rent there and I belong there. So just uh, beautiful moment.
1: Did you guys keep, uh, keep stuff from each other? I know, like, a lot of times you were training. I think a lot of you guys trained with, like, Charles Glass or utilized similar, like, methods and stuff. Would you try to, like, keep stuff from one another or would you try to share it with each other? Like, how did that whole thing work?
3: No, you know what? We were different back then um you know of course me rico and chris we were training partners and you know we we had a pride about ourselves you know um you're not gonna out train us you're not gonna be stronger than us and you don't want to fight either one of us none of us you know because it's not going to be good so that was kind of like that era if you walked into that gym during those times you're in our house and act accordingly or else we'd love to step to you and kind of holler at you you know so (laughs) um but no um it was all love, man. I mean, you know, even even guys who have competed before I did, uh, you know, Rich Gasparri who came in there, you know, uh, Lee Haney. Um, um, I can't think of so many of other guys, but they all just shared their advice and everything. They would talk to me and, and give me advice. I remember you know, having the honor of watching um, uh, Rich Gasparri uh, pose in a posing room Getting ready for Olympia, and you know he allowed me to come in because I was working with Neil uh, Spruce at the time, and I was just like, "Jesus Christ, this guys, just, this, this is this sorry," you know. He's getting ready for Olympia, so it was beautiful. Uh, um, Mike Quinn, uh, you know, he would always give me advice, and these are guys that were there before me, so it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that, um, at least not around my camp. Now, maybe. Some other people had that type of relationship with, with me, know, and, and, and the same, I just, I learned from other people. So still to this date, I don't mind sharing my knowledge with someone else. You know, I, I know Ronnie talks about all the time about, you know, how I helped him. And, you know, people ask me all the time, do you regret telling them? I'm like, <laughs> no, because I'm, I'm, I'm wired that how can you consider yourself a man if you kept yourself or kept knowledge from another competitor, and then beat him. I just, and I know a lot of people say, well, you know, you keep that knowledge and you beat a champion. But I would go home and I'd be like, I'd be a punt you know, because you didn't really beat this man because you knew more than he did. So that's, that's just the way I kind of grew up. You know, I want to compete against the best. I want to measure myself against them, and and you know, let the chips fall with they may. But no, I, I I researched stuff back then. Now, if you wasn't a resident, that goes, Jim. Kind of like you know, Sean would come in. Now, Sean's one of those guys we never talked about what we did sometimes we would talk a little bit about dieting you know but it was more because he was kind of closed off and there were other guys but you know they're not who I consider considered residents there at go gym everyday guys but between us now uh, we trained uh, we loved each other I mean me and rico I mean me and Chris competed against each other and we never kept secrets later on I found out that he kept secrets from me because but, but I was like what really because uh, I remember one time um i was getting ready for a show and he goes flex you know he goes never mind i go what he goes no, nah, never mind and then later or years later he told me he goes yeah i didn't tell you because i don't want you know i didn't, <laughs> uh, I wanted to beat you and i was like you know it's just really i'm like <laughs> you know so anyway no nah, not really
2: what was it that he didn't tell you did you ever find that out
3: he still didn't tell uh, i think it was something about, oh i remember he told me later. he told me um uh, later on he said if I was you I wouldn't continue chasing these guys with size because you have a different type of shape and you have a different type of condition and if you just allow yourself to mature slowly Mm you would be able to to, uh, beat them later on but I was chasing of course I was chasing Dorian and Dorian was a lot bigger than I was and then it came Ronnie and I was literally told by judges that I'll never beat them unless I was their size so I started chasing them and Kind of what Chris was 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 holding back. He goes, "No, man, don't chase them. You you know you'll beat them, you know eventually because you're better than them." So uh, yeah, I wish he would. It would probably wouldn't matter. I probably wouldn't have listened anyway. I probably would have thought he was probably trying to jinx me or something like that. But uh, but yeah, other than that, I, I don't mind, man. If anybody asks me now, I, I tell them everything I know except the you know the sports technology side of the the game. I don't believe in doing that because I don't want to be responsible for somebody else. Mm you know, i um, doing something that I did and then they get hurt because I'm responsible, right? I told them, but everything else I share with people and I don't share that with them just because, you know, um, say that me and you uh, went to a club, all, all, two, all three of us went to a club and I was kind of new at drinking, and I was like, man, I don't know what to have. You know, uh, first first we're going to start with this, then we're going to have this. So you guys, like, on your third shot or something, you guys are (laughs) barely feeling it, and I'm, like, still, you know, trying to finish my second shot, and I'm on (laughs) my way to the hospital because my blood alcohol is too high. So everybody can't handle everything the same way. So I was just very, very conscious of that, and I, I wouldn't talk about that or answer questions about it, but. I would never say this is what I did and this is how much I did because I, I didn't want to be responsible for somebody hurting themselves. So.
1: On your way to chasing some of these bigger bodybuilders, did you uh, potentially maybe ruin your own uh, physique a little bit or like did you get lost and caught up in that? Did you get too thick, too blocky, uh, too much unlike your original self?
3: No, I, I don't I don't think so. Uh, it, what, what happened is I think it took I should have took more time to, to develop. I mean, I would compete every year, multiple times a year, even sometimes up to 12 times a year. Uh, wow. And I would compete every, every year except when I had my car accident. Um, I was out that year, and then I think um, um, it was in 97 when I missed another year. But, um, no, um, and, you know, I guess uh, now understanding some of the diuretics that I was using were very primitive. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say their names, um, but they're very primitive and and they were used heavily in the 80s. And I learned from the 80s. So I kept using those where, you know, the game was switched in the late 90s. And, uh, it, you know, so I wasn't able to continue my condition. And if you remember and if anybody's uh want to research, if they if they go and look at uh, the 99 English Grand Prix, uh, they'll see what I mean, because. 99, Mr. Olympia, I was, you know, I, I, thought I should have won based on the merits of what was going on behind, uh, you know, the closed doors. Uh, but I wasn't in, in mint condition. I wasn't hundred percent in condition, but you know, a lot of the stuff it was still good enough to win. So when I, uh, we went on tour, Ronnie came to my room and he's like, uh, well, he actually, called me, he said, come to my room. I'm like, all right. He goes, man, what are you doing? I go, what do you mean? He goes, what you doing? I'm like, what do you mean, Ronnie? He goes, man, he goes, uh, what, what what you use it for diuretic? And I told him, he goes, damn, sex, that's old. I'm like, really? He goes, try this. And I go, no, man, I heard about that one. I don't want to get on with that one. Man, I, You know, I heard that mess a lot of people up. He goes, just just try one. Just take one. I go, one? I go, because this other thing I got to take for like six days, and there's like two or three of them. He's like, just just trust me. You trust me? I go, of course I trust you. He goes, you told me everything I know, now it's my turn. You know, he goes, just take one. I'm like, all right. You know, so I went to my room and I took it and I kept eating my food. And um, normally um, from these other diuretics, they would just rip water from me. And I was very aware of it. I would I would pee gallons a day uh, of fluid and I would continue drinking. Also, everything I would piss out, I would drink until the last probably about 24 hours before. So then I would shut down and take in water and then continue urinating out. So when he gave me this particular diuretic, um, I only went to the bathroom like three times, and it was like very little. And it's like, God dang it, this ain't working. <laughs> and when I woke up the next morning, instead of being having water just ripped from my body, and I was, you know, kind of flat but still really dry and and, and shredded, I was super super full. But you know, it's like my 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 skin had ceram wrap; it just got tighter and tighter instead of. Instead of it pulling water water out of the muscles, it's just my skin will get tighter and tighter around my muscles, right? So I end up at the Olympic in 99, I weighed 246. Well, at the English Grand Prix, I weighed 256. And me and Ronnie already did an interview about this, and he he acknowledged it um, and everything. But um, he's like, yeah, you weighed the same uh, weight that I did because I weighed 256 uh, at the English Grand Prix. Um, And, man, I was just like... Puking up muscle. I was so freaking full. Just rock hard. Glutes is hard. Stride and everything like that. And it was so funny that uh, even uh, the girl Ronnie was dating at the time, uh, who was a music friend of both of ours, uh, she ran backstage after pre pre and She's like, Ronnie, Flex is whooping your ass on stage. He was like, I know. Um, I go, yeah, it don't matter, bro. You know you're going to win. He goes, well, you know, just take it from me. You know, you, you won in this show. Um, but that was the difference in the diuretics, just that diuretic. I'm like, wow, now I understand why I would be so heavy going into a show. And soon, soon as I start using my regimen of diuretics, it would just rip water from me and I wouldn't be able to carry that same type of muscle. Um, even in one video of me uh, training with Charles Glass where I'm doing back um, and I'm doing bent over roast. And every time I come up my back is just all super straight. I was like two hundred and sixty something pounds then. <laughs> and back was just shredded, but I wouldn't carry that type of fullness, that type of muscle on stage. So, you know, that's that's kind of the only thing I, I, I kind of slipped up on and I mean it doesn't matter, right? Um only that, that fifteen seconds on stage is all that matters. You know, what you look like before, during or you know, before after it doesn't matter at all. So, you know, that was that was probably one thing I regret. Just not keeping up on
2: the skills with that so does it seem that like because I, I might be totally wrong about this but you know obviously I, i'm assuming you've been lifting for a really long time but when it seems that when you started competing until then you started competing at the arnold's and then olympias it seems like you progress pretty quickly for a bodybuilder am i wrong about that because i, I see like there are bodybuilders no, that you know- yeah
3: I did. And, you know, there's been studies, uh, I'm sure you guys have heard about it, um, where they've done these studies on extreme responders and myostatin gene and all that stuff. And supposedly I was at the, uh, at the the point of of having to, you know, supposedly um, the the freakish genetics, you know, um, the um, scientists said that my, my, my HDH level was through the roof and my IGF level was through the roof. And also something like I had like three times, amount of muscle fibers per strand compared to everybody else and um they did studies on and you could pull this up you just type in a flexible myostatin and it it all pop up um but they they test other people who they thought were going to be extreme responders to also ronnie and i thought ronnie would be the one because just the way he looked but uh i guess um everyone supposedly had like a twin somewhere mm. that had identical same to them and i had no twin uh to mine so it's kind of funny when I first started, you know, working out back in a teenager, you know, some of the old timers would always look at them like, damn flex, you come in the gym and look like you just breathe the air and you grow, you know? And, uh, so that, yeah, um, it, it seemed like that happened a lot, but I think, you know, probably one of the bad things about that is I might've matured as physique wise. Right. But I, I didn't mature the same way mentally, as far as the game was concerned. Um, yeah, I won't. I won't say things happen um, easily for me, but they kind of happen fast. You know, my first Olympia, I'm um, placing, uh, placing second, and my first four pro shows, I end up winning, which was put me in a Guinness Book of World Records for having the best pro debut in a, the history of bodybuilding, which still stands to this date. So, in in my ignorance, I didn't take it as serious. You know, because things happen so fast. And, you know, for me, I I come from nothing. I come from welfare and, you know, being homeless and, you know, the ghetto and, you know, all the hard things along with that. So making more money, I remember when I competed in 93, my pro debut uh, between the Arnold and the Ironman, which was just a week apart, I'd made over $90,000. That's more than I'd ever made in my entire life. And that's actually more than in my immediate family tree that anyone had ever made. So, you know, I just like thought, okay, this is normal. You know, I, I, didn't, I wasn't a historian of the sport. You know, I didn't know the history of everybody, anything like that. So, you know, I, so I think the bad thing, I think what happens with most people who, when they finally make it, they just shoot through the roof. Um, the maturity doesn't happen like that. And I think that's why you see a lot of actors or, uh, or athletes who are really, you know, incredible as an athlete and making all this money. Their maturity level isn't there. Um, but yeah, I you know, it it kind of happened uh, you know, fast. It's not that I didn't work my ASS off, but yet I think, you know, other people worked as equally hard as I did or maybe even harder, but it didn't happen for them. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, look at look at, you know, the same slot, you know. Um when you think about it, very very simple, ideal, right? Nobody else thought about it. Right. So, um I think, you know, some people, no matter what it is, are just gifted in a certain way and when when they're gifted that way, you can't compete. You kind of just step back and just like, wow, let me take part in watching this. And, you know, um, obviously uh, that man sitting next to you is a part of that. You know, uh, it's than what he's been able to do. So you can't say that he didn't work hard, but I'm sure other people could look at him like, wow, that happened faster. You man, I've been doing this or I've been doing that, you know, but um, I think he can also attribute that every um, overnight success is five to 10 years in the making you know, people think you're overnight success. Like, really? So you can kind of say, yeah, plus you're an overnight success. Well, no, not really. I started competing when I was 13, you know, first time I went on stage. So wow. a lot of people say, Oh, you learned to pose easy. Well, thank God it wasn't a, you know, video camera, camera phones back then. Cause you'd see me crawling around on my underwear to print, you know, trying to pose uh, and stuff like that. So, um, but I, I'm just blessed. And no matter what, man, I, I'm super happy about what I could achieve. And, Uh, the experiences I had and it helped, uh, you know, to find and pull me to be the man that I am sitting before you.
1: I find it fascinating that you've said in other interviews that you didn't have uh, like hardly any self-confidence. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people suffer from that. They don't have a lot of self-confidence, but I think what's unique about yourself is that you have at least enough to be courageous enough to say, Hey, let me just give this a shot. What do you think that is? That's inside you that makes you different in that way.
3: You know, I, I always wondered that, and I always noticed that, and my my answer came to be that, no, I mean, I, I have no self-esteem, uh, very low, even to this day, um, you know, and I...
1: Uh, That's weird, man. You're not giving uh, much hope uh, for the rest of us.
3: <laughs>
1: uh-huh. I said, you're not giving much hope for the rest of us.
3: <laughs>
1: like, if you don't have it, then the rest we're, of us going to have a
2: tough time.
3: You know, it's uh, it's a number of different ways to get to your house, number of different streets you can take, right? So... Everybody's destination might be different, but you know the hopes of getting there is what we're looking at. But um, no, it's from my upbringing. I had a difficult life. You know, um, as I've said a billion times in interviews, just you know, not having any money. You know, being on welfare, uh, wearing hand-me-downs, uh, being made fun of uh, um, what clothes I had, or whatnot. Um, um, you know, sexy, abused and stuff like that, beaten and stuff like that. So, doesn't doesn't you know doesn't not a nucleus for having great uh, self esteem, you can't say, right? So, um, but it never changed uh, even as I, I got older and I, I, I somehow I created this, this flex wheeler, you know, image person, you know, um, once I got bigger. I was always a great fighter. I came from a fighting background and even in school I would get bullied. So I, I learned to uh, invite the bully to uh, my martial arts uh, class. And for some reason, within those laws, I would terrorize everybody, but walk outside that, and I would just be terrified of anybody. So I would invite the bully to come, and then I would make sure I got a chance to spar against him, and I would just just walk through him. And then he would go back and be the mouse piece. I don't mess with him, you know, karate. So I didn't have to fight too much. But um, I just... Um, so as I got bigger and I looked apart, I, I I somehow created this alter ego, uh, this Flex Wheeler guy who didn't take crap from nobody. You know, was uh, I didn't start stuff, but I loved to end it. You know, I loved to get engaged and end it. And whether it's competing, I'm competitive against everything, but I still was Kenny Wheeler inside. And, and honestly, I I remember sometimes i would walk by an object and either uh, rip my arm or rip my leg because I never would. Even within myself, I never realized how big I was. And I would, I would look at pictures of myself, and all I would see is just a little Kenny inside me. I wouldn't see everything else. I didn't see everything else everybody else did. So, but what was different, I, I've always been kind of more uh, a realist. I wouldn't say a pessimist. I wouldn't say optimistic, but I was more or less a realist. So I didn't believe that I would achieve anything, but I was wired differently. That It didn't stop me from trying my A-S-S. I mean... You know so i would go into olympia and i was like i'm not going to win but you know what i'm not going to lose because i didn't try hard so it's kind of like you know um if you fight somebody who's really scared of you be very nervous because they're terrified they have nothing to lose and they're going to launch every weapon they have at you you know um so i was like that i was terrified so uh, even in my fights when i would get in the fight i'd be crying you know and whoever i'm about to fight would be laughing like look at you crying i'd be like you know, I can't control. You know, I can't can't control these, but I can control these. You know, come, come here. <laughs> um, and, and that's the way I was on stage. Um, I I just try really hard. I I, I loathe losing. Um, I'm very emotional. You know, I I cry when I lose. I cry when I win. And, and I can't I can't accept failure within myself. I uh, I'm my worst enemy. So I just I I gave it everything I had and everything I did. But I just. This, you know, maybe it can happen, maybe it couldn't. And I prefer to prepare myself for the worst um, so that if the worst happens, I'll be prepared for it. And if something better happens, then great. The same way I was trained in martial arts and street fighting, I was trained to be prepared for the worst. Therefore, I'll launch everything I had and um, and be prepared for that. So um, I don't know why, but, yeah, even to this date, I still deal with that. And you're right. Um, I think any... Most people who are very, very outgoing are normally introverts by themselves. Um, You look at, you know, uh, Michael Jackson. uh, You look at even his sister, Janet. You look at Prince. You know, if you talk to them privately, they're very much introvert. They probably won't engage with you. But you get them on stage in their own element, man, and they just like will light the world up, you know. Um, I'm not trying to say I'm at their level or anything like that. What I'm comparing is – you know, it's was very uh, uncomfortable uh, in my skin. I still am. Whenever I'm in public, I'm extremely uncomfortable. Um, I'm worried about, am I standing up straight? Who's looking at me? Uh, am I holding my stomach in? You know, did I trip? You know, am I walking? Uh, you know, where everyone else, I'm exuding this overconfidence. And it's because I'm trying to hide the, the real person inside me. And I, I remember uh, many times saying, you know, I'm the world's greatest chameleon. Because none of you guys really know how I really feel. I mean, you know, I was always considered arrogant and cocky. And I laugh because I'm like, you guys have no idea. And they're like, well, look at your antics on stage. You're, you know, you're tapping guys and putting your arm around them. So, you know, you're better. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not what I'm doing. I'm tapping them because I'm trying to transfer energy. My 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 logic in doing that, uh, if I'm on stage with someone, which I was always nervous what I would do is if I put my armor on them, I just transfer it, or I thought, right? I just I thought that if I put my armor on them, you're no longer looking at me, you're looking at them because I touched them. Um, that that was my thought, but I guess it could be uh, pursued as I'm being cocky. Um, you know, when when they would call my name out for a call out I'll, I'll walk up and be like, yeah. But we're really all saying like god damn Are they going to find out that i'm a gazey? <laughs> but you know as a child um i learned uh in my neighborhood when people find out their weaknesses they will they will use them against you and globally as i got older i found out on a global scale if somebody found out that you were nervous or weak about something they are going to use it as a weapon so i guess i kind of took that and harnessed it and kind of just reversed everything that i was going through and tried to Make it more cocky and arrogant. So I, I prefer for you to think that I was cocky and arrogant than to you to find out that I was really terrified. You know, I'm, I'm incredibly dyslexic. Um, I would I put my shoes on backwards still to this day. You know, I can't read. I mean, i uh, very well. Um, when I look at words, it's, if you're reading a verse and I was looking at it, I have to look at each word as I'm reading instead of just flowing through like most people. Um, so. Even in school, I was so embarrassed of that that I preferred to cuss the teacher out and get kicked out of school, get a paddling, because back then you got a paddling from the principal, and go home. And then you get a, an accident from your mother or your dad for, for getting. But I preferred that to happen instead of people finding out that I just didn't know what was going on in school. And that's kind of the person I became, um, just trying to buy things um, you know, for people to find out what my weaknesses were.
1: Did you have a hard time uh, finding happiness? It sounds like the expectations of yourself are, are kind of low. So maybe you didn't struggle with that part, but I'm not sure.
3: No, uh, you know, it's weird. Um, it's weird. It's hard to answer that for you to understand. My, my expectations of myself were low, but I dreamed big. You know, um, I want to be Mr. Olympia. I just didn't think I was worthy. You know i mean so my wants didn't actually equal you know uh the the same so it was actually worse because um i wanted these things you know i wanted to be able to be successful i wanted to to be noticed you know like that uh that one song i'm always singing to my daughter you know i'm a creep (laughs) i'm a loser you know um but um no i wanted that so i put so much pressure on myself And then, you know, kind of once I got in the game and even in fighting, it was so much pressure because people more mature than me seen my ability. And it would tell me about my abilities and the possibilities. And and I would put pressure on myself to reach that. But I would always be at war with myself because I'd be like, but you're not good enough. But other people see that I am good enough. It's, It's probably the same as you. You can probably look at some kid who's super strong like, wow, that kid got talent. But that kid doesn't know it. And as you sit there and talk to him and tell him about what his possibility is, he's probably looking at you like, what? You know, <laughs> that, that was kind of me, but I wouldn't look at him and say, what I would just set up and stare at him. But in myself, everything they're saying, I would denounce it. That's not true. That's never going to happen. That's not that. No, it's not going to happen. But I wouldn't tell them that. Cause then I pointed out my weakness to him. Um, so, um, no, but I, I was never satisfied. I was never happy. Um, never, uh, throughout my entire career. Um, I was probably more happier when I was fighting uh, than I was ever as a bodybuilder.
1: And what about was- now? What about now when people oh, yeah. say, you know, a lot of people say that you have the greatest physique of all time, you know, and you obviously have accomplished so much in bodybuilding and you've helped so many other bodybuilders become great bodybuilders. You mentioned helping Ronnie Coleman and stuff like that. What about now? Are you able to accept it now? You
3: know, It's opinion. I mean, the truth is, it's really an opinion, right? Yeah, right. It's, it's an opinion because, I mean, I can go in some places and they'll think I'm a garbage as a bodybuilder, right? So it's what I've learned is, and I, you, you're going to hear me argue with myself now, like I've been telling you all along, and here's an example. Truly, it's opinion. And that's what I would say to people who would say that, you know, you're a great fighter or you're a great bodybuilder. It's your opinion. And everybody don't carry your opinion, so why should I believe in your opinion? When there's probably just as many people out there who say the opposite. Um, it's, it's, um, how could I put it? It's, it's your belief in something that makes it so. So either one of you, say you're, you're dating someone or married to someone and for the sake of the conversation, let's just say that you're honestly telling the truth and they believe you're lying. Their belief is going to overrule the fact. That's the way we are in our entire world. Their belief is going to overrule the fact. Same thing if we see an uh, to us what we we would conceive a, a very you know beautiful female, but she doesn't think so. You can tell her all you want how beautiful. Oh my God, you're, and she'll look at you like get out of my face. <laughs> her her perception overrules facts, and that is true in everything in every aspect. You know just like we'll see some guys you might see some guys in powerlifting or or in bodybuilding who just think they SHIT don't stink and we're looking at them like dude you are not all that but they believe so their perception overrules facts and that's what i thought when people say that and what they say now so now i just accept it. thank you and i and by me saying that what i'm really saying to myself is you feel that way, and I appreciate it, but it doesn't make it factual. Do but it, you got to reverse that also. In their mind, it is a fact to them, and they really believe that. But um, it's truly its opinion um, on everything that we do, bro. Um, you're a great slingshot. Look how look at the records. Look how much money you've made. Look ten years. There's probably other people out there like that's garbage, dude. <laughs> their opinion over overrules facts, you know. So, by the way, it's not garbage. It's great. <laughs>
0: Uh, So going back to your mindset, when you were competing, um, you felt you were good enough, but you didn't feel that you deserved it. Do you think that was a downfall? Or do you think it was maybe like your superpower against, you know, what everyone else was doing for themselves?
3: the beginning of the question
0: first uh so the uh, question was um with like the way you, you um your thought process was when you were competing you you, yeah. f- you knew that you were good enough but you felt you were not uh worthy of winning uh mr olympia yeah. so do you yeah. think that was like your superpower or do you think it was a bit of a downfall when looking back at it
3: you know this is, is going to be a weird answer uh but i, I just got to be honest and true to myself um I don't really think it mattered. I don't really think it mattered um, because everything is a business when money's involved, right, everything. Uh, even our relationships between our husband and wives, it's, it's, it's about positioning, right? It's not always who's right, it's about positioning. Um, so my answer to that is where there was a downfall that kept me from winning the Miss Olympia no, because I didn't think I was going to win any other show. Well, actually, not true. And, it, and and this will help my argument also. So, no, I never thought I was going to win Olympia. And when I did feel that I was going to win Olympia, I didn't. Um, there's other people out there, and I just got off the phone with the, the great Lee Brada. He was like, you definitely should have had Olympias. So, how could I, in some eyes, people, like, will go to their graves like, you won Olympia, man. You'll win at least three. Yet, I didn't. So, there you have in a balance of what you said Just because I believe that I should have Does that mean I was going to happen? No And then on the other part is If I ever competed in the Honor Classic Or the Ironman I'm like you're coming into my house You're going to have to slaughter me to win I didn't win all the time So there it is I believe that I am the SHIT I lived in LA The Ironman was always in LA It's like you're not going to beat me in my house I didn't win five times Come get me But I lost one right? Arnold Classic, I'd won so many times and broke the record, I was like it's a wrap, maybe Olympia might be a battle, come to Arnold it's a wrap, I'm a win, I didn't win all the time so the fact is I truly believe in my heart, right? Um, I believe that a book is written and we have our roles to play in this book and we have the ability to, like a, like a script, we have the ability to go along with the script or we could ad-lib and change it uh, I think everything that happened in my life was meant to happen for a specific reason, and uh, you know if I take any one of those things away i wouldn't be the person who's sitting here in front of you right now
2: you know listening to everything you're talking to us about right now um, i'm just curious when you started to be so transparent about who you were and who you are just because uh, mm-hmm. when you're talking to us about Like, you know, when you're at the table with The Rock or when you're talking with other people, you would be super Mm -hmm. cocky and you kind of put a port of persona that wasn't really you. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, first off, back then, at at those points in your career, did anybody really actually know who you were? And then secondly, now we are all getting to understand who you are and all our listeners are understanding that. When did you become so comfortable just letting people know that?
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's i remember clearly three people who would see through my like my 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 superhero outfit right you know say if i'm dressed up like spider-man it looked like i see you kenny right and they wouldn't even call me flex they're like i see you kenny um one was um with a bodybuilder and uh tom prince i hated being around tom prince because he would just see me for who I am, and he would say something. I'd look at him, not literally turn around and walk away. Because I tell myself I'm not effing being around him because I can't hide. And it was two other uh, two other people. I can't remember that name, and they would just see me for who I am, and they would call me out on it. I'd be like, "So I'll go even harder." So when you when you see me, I have a choice. With Tom, we were cool, so I would just turn around and walk away. With the other two people, we were cool, but not that type of relationship. So I'd go on an event of launching um, rockets at them, whereas it's verbally slurring them, trying to anger them so that they no longer are reading me. Now they're engaged with me because I'm being, you know, malicious towards them. Never worked. Um, When did I start becoming comfortable with myself? Honestly, it was around the time that I found out uh, that I had my kidney disease in 99, you know, In '99, I I I rededicated my life to uh, to the man upstairs, and uh, started studying the Bible a lot more and Bible study and going to church and and just you know you you read stories about some of these men in the Bible and uh, you know you think they must be like ten thousand foot tall and weigh a billion pounds because of their strength you know Abraham uh, willing to kill his son who could do that right? I couldn't. So, but you you also listen to how human they were and some of their great failures. King David, right? King David, God said, you know, he's a man who has a heart of mind. Yet King David had somebody killed because he was sleeping with his his wife. So what that helped me to understand is everyone has something to hide. Everyone has some, some setback. And you look at, you know, again, I'm not, you know, preaching or, you know, I'm just answering a question. You look at these great people in the Bible, they're very transparent, which made them even more human, even though they've done these unconceivable acts. So I started saying to myself, well, you know, maybe I can just just be me and, and stop hiding. And, uh, and I just started, you know, doing that. I, I never had a problem. Telling on myself, even as a kid, I never had. It. I mean, if you are close enough to me, I'd tell you everything. And there's people that I would tell everything uh, to. So I never had a problem. Uh, so it was easy for me to kind of come out of the closet and talk about these things because that's that's not one of my weaknesses. I have tremendous weaknesses, but being honest and brutal about you know gritty or grimy things or maybe not the most worthiest things, uh, I never had a problem talking about those things and. What I understand now is, um, you know, I've been allowed to do some 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 pretty cool things in life. Um, and looking at other great people who've done greater things, uh, they're almost not human, you know, because of their greatness of what they've done. It's like you cannot even begin to, to dream like them or think you can ever be them. They're like, they're so far up there. You know, you look at like even a rock now, it's like, What? You know, look at Michael Jordan. You know, look look at the the fame, the money. It's like, I can never dream to be that big, right? So what I, 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 and I'm not comparing myself to their greatness at all. But what I started thinking is, um, well, maybe I need to humanize myself more so that people can understand they can too. You know, um, just because you come from the ghetto, doesn't mean that you're going to be a piece of crap. You know, just because, you know, you're on welfare doesn't mean... That you know you can't be anything, and so I started talking about those things, especially the bad things, like you know being you know molested or being homeless or um being dyslexic uh, you know um uh having no self esteem or low self esteem I started being honest and talking about those things because I just I wanted people to to dare to dream, like okay, well, if he made something out of an insult and he has this setback well that that doesn't have to stop me either. So I just kind of want people just to kind of see me who I am and um, and maybe they can dream that they can become something too, you know, just because these other people are so pristine or they present themselves so pristine, I can't relate to them. You know, I don't even want to talk to you. If you if you haven't sinned greatly, if you haven't had incredible fallbacks or things that you're just, you don't want to talk about, you keep in a closet. If you're not that type of person, we've got nothing in common. I'll go back to my street works, man. You, you don't know what it's like. You know what my life's like. I mean, you can't tell me nothing. You don't know what I go through. Because you, you look at some of these people and you don't know what they went through. So, you know, um, most people, when you've made it in and, and their eyes, right, um, all they see is the glitz and the glory. They see none of the grit and the glory. So they separate themselves. And they personally know their grit and glory, their struggles. So I just try to be honest with mine so that they can see both. And then maybe... That empowers them to dream and not be, you know, anchored by their setbacks or their weaknesses.
1: This is what makes it so difficult to, you know, talk to somebody like you. You know, I think people think we're going to get on here and talk about your biceps, but it's like we we just can't. You know, we we don't have enough time to like go over all the different things, but I I think it's amazing that you have taken it upon yourself to study the body, mind, and spirit, and to do a thorough evaluation, you know, of yourself throughout your life. Do you think that the early days of uh, martial arts kind of prepped you for other aspects of life through training your body, mind, and spirit?
3: Yeah, definitely man I give my martial arts background credit to, to a lot of things you know first and foremost the man upstairs who made me to be uh, who I, I needed to be and to give me those tools. but you know I have to take responsibility and, and being a, a, a Tyler of those tools and, and trying to master them. Um, but you know uh, my greatest martial arts teacher and mentor and like a father to me, um, Tyrell McGuire, he just would train me that way. He's extremely militant, uh, you know. The guys is just like ruthless, but um, he just prepared me uh, for stuff like this. And it's a one-on-one uh, sport, you know. It's just me when I'm in a ring fight. Nobody else. I can't call and help. I'm not on the street, you know. I can't call for my boys. So I'm going to get my ass handed to me. You know, there's nobody to get in there. And it's kind of the same thing on on stage, but you know, on the other end. Uh, I love this quote by Sir Isaac Newton. Um, if I've seen farther than others, it's because i stood on the shoulders of giants. Well, anything that I've achieved because these giant men or women have helped me and hoisted me up higher. But I remember fighting, you know, with, with uh, Ty, uh, sparring with him and I was a top student in a class. And so I got to t- teach class a lot, but if there was ever in the illustration, uh, it was going to be me, uh, fighting him. And, um, As great as a fighter as I was, um, I was nowhere near close to him. And I would watch him fight other um, opponents at his ability. And I'd be like, I got so far to go. But in my class, I would just run through people, you know. um, But I would never be cocky about it because I knew there's guys out there who would run through me. But um, I remember fighting him all the time. And he would always punish me, right, just punish me. And he was like a father figure. We would hang out all day. And, you know, after months of this, you know, um, I'm talking to the point where I'd be crying as a grown man because he's just punishing me. And uh, we would hang out and we would, you know, philosophize. We'd go shooting, whatever, you know. And finally, I was like, you know, "Why why do you do that to me? I'm like, you embarrass me in front of everybody, man. I'm like, he's supposed to be my boy. And, you know, you, you always punish me in front of everybody. You know when we train, you know you hit me harder than you hit anybody else. You know why do you do that? He was like, you should know, and he would never answer me. And he'd be like the type of person. He would call me like three o'clock in the morning. Let's go train. And if I said no, I'm in for it for the rest of the week. So I, I'd never say no. I would like okay. So we'd be up kicking up and down a football field in the middle of the dark, three o'clock in the morning. You know I just I never say no. I just learned to shut my mouth. And that kind of helped me greatly when I had trainers like Charles Glass. Regardless of whatever, I just put my blinds on, like, okay, fine, let's go. You know, um but I'll keep asking him, and finally I was in tears. You know, I was asking him, like, why do you do that? And um he said, you should know already. And I go, I don't, ma'am. Why don't you just tell me? You know, stop this philosophy. Stop just telling me. And he said, uh, he goes, because I want you to be prepared for life. He said, um. I train you this hard no one in your category or nobody that you'll ever meet will ever be able to put you through something that you haven't been through already I was like wow how come you couldn't just tell me that he goes it wouldn't mean the same it's different something you gotta learn it's a journey you gotta learn on your own he goes but I fight you that hard, I hit you that hard because if you're ever anywhere and you're dealing with somebody and Arab beast, you can sit there and say, I've been through this, I can work my way through it. So I kind of apply that through everything in life moving forward. Uh, you know, and that's kind of how I started creating a bow to ego, you know, flex like Wheeler and all that stuff. So um yeah. Man, I love martial arts, I've said it a million times. I um that was truly a sport to me. You know, um, it's just, it's nothing, you know, they call boxing a sweet science. You know, I, I call martial arts the sweetest science because you not only have to worry about somebody's hand game, you got to worry about their feet game also. And, you know, um, I would easily, we would rate my kicking and we would time it. I easily kicked over a hundred miles an hour. You know, <laughs> I'm sure some of you guys seen some of my fights that I put up on a video. My, my right leg was just redundant. There's nothing nobody can do about it. So, um, but to be able to fight someone, you know, and, in, and, in, in a respectful way, we call it moving around. It's just so pure and beautiful. I mean, you're punishing your opponent, but it's out of tremendous respect and iron sharpened iron. So imagine you're sharpening a knife and there's sparks and stuff coming from it and little pieces being torn from it to make it finer. That's just beautiful, man. You know, and, uh, you can take that type of uh, discipline and apply it towards anything in life. You're going to be successful. And I think, you know, applying just that hard training, um, you know, being in the hills and the bowels of training and not being happy. But I, I truly understood that when I'm at my most unhappy and most uncomfortable is when I'm at my finest of training and I need to be in that hell hole to be able to create this beautiful diamond. You know, you look at a diamond, how it's formed, hot, deep, hell, you know, torment. But what comes out of there is just Unbreakable thing, and that's kind of how I I viewed myself. I got to go into this pure hell and beat my body and and enslave it to do my works of wonder uh, when I walk on stage.
1: You had some uh, just crazy things that you went through that were very public. You know, you went through um, the uh, car accident, and then you went through the with your kidneys um yeah and then and then more recently uh i think you had like your leg amputated or some, something happened with your leg I, i'm you know excuse That's me for uh, i i don't know the full story on what happened to your leg what what did happen uh with your leg
3: so um it's a, a dvt uh, deep vein thrombosis um i've been dealing with it for probably about two years before i, I lost my leg um just uh you know incredible pain and it would continue to get worse um I still travel all around the world and there would be some times where I couldn't even walk through an airport and I would just stop and I'd be in tears um, I was going to every specialist uh, you know I, I live here in Henderson Vegas uh, uh Nevada and I went to every specialist you could think of I have some pretty incredible friends uh who would introduce me to some of the greatest doctors and I'm going to all of them um, and nothing's getting better. I even went to uh, the emergency room um, a couple of times over the years and they would like, Oh, you pull the muscle, you know, they put my leg in a calf they put in a splint. And I'm like, you guys are idiots. You know, I, I've torn muscles before. This ain't a damn torn muscle, you know? Uh,
1: what hurts specifically um, like your foot or your calf or your shin so or something?
3: So to, to explain it to you and what was happening is, is um, it's a lactic acid like burn. Like, so when you're training and your butt muscle starts burning, normally you stop, right? Because it just, it gets too much. Well, that's what would happen when I'm walking, that buildup, and it would burn, but it wouldn't go away. Oh. And when I stopped walking, it'd take about 20 minutes for it to subside. That's a long time, uh, to the point it breaks you. So what truly was happening was the, uh, the blood flow was being cut off. So imagine, you know, your muscles, as I like has to build up. They're starving for more oxygen, for more blood. Well, my complete lower, uh, below my calf, uh, my below my knee, was being cut off on blood supply. So that buildup was getting greater and greater and greater because there was no blood flow. Um, we didn't know what was going on. Um, to fast forward, long story short, uh, I, I got very upset with my doctor. You know, to say the least, he got extremely upset and said, you know. I just said some choice words. We are very close, and he respected that. And I said, we got to do something more. This is bullshit, man. You know, there's no way, no way that I should be hurting like this. Um, We had tried everything. So he said, you know what, let me call in for an ultrasound. I said, okay. Because I had, you know, everything else, x-rays and all this garbage. And um, went in for an ultrasound, and, geez, like within five seconds, a lady found it. And she just stopped and stared at me, you know, probably for like 10 seconds. That's a long time, you know, 10 seconds of silence is a long time. And her eyes got watery. So, you know, me, I'm an emotional person. I look at her and I'm like, my eyes are getting watery. I'm like, what, you know, what is it that you see? And she goes, do you have a, do you have a a staff or something in your leg? Do you have a, you know, artificial, uh, you know, artery or something? I'm like, no. I go, I have one in my groin for my kidney transplant. When I, when I had my kidney transplant, my donor, um, uh, when they got us on the operating table, her main artery from her kidney was too short. So they had to go into my left quad and take out my main artery to make the, her artery long enough. And then they replaced it with a plastic uh, stent uh, or graft. Um, so no, I said I had a graft in my groin area, but you know, it goes to my right leg, but I don't have a, 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 I mean a, a, a stent in my calf. She goes, okay. So she kept going and she literally just started crying. So I started crying. I go, please tell me what do you see. She goes, I can't. She goes, you know, they can't tell you anything. You know, I'll turn it into the doctor, you know, blah, blah, blah. And when she broke down in tears, you know so did i and i just begged her please you got to tell me what do you see she and she said um have you who have you been to i told her everybody i told the hospital she goes no that's not possible those are some of the greatest hospitals we have here in henderson um they should have seen it you know within seconds ago seeing what she goes either you have a graph in your calf that you don't know about or i'm looking at the biggest blood clot i've ever seen in my life mm. So that got my attention, and she goes, I got to stop. I got to call the that I got to get the emergency team in here. I go, Really, is that bad? She goes, You have no idea how bad it is. So I had to wait for an hour, and they came in and did their stuff, and they said, You know, all right, your doctor's going to call you. You know, we're going to go ahead and release you. And I said, Okay. She goes, Don't worry, he's going to call you here. He can explain. I can't tell you no more. So I'm driving home, and I pull up in my, drawer, my garage, and uh, my doctor calls me. And he goes, Where are you? urgent you know voice huh? so I just put up my garage he goes wow he goes like i'm surprised you even made it home I go, what do you mean by that man he goes it's bad i go i go how bad man i'm i'm not supposed to be going to the honor plastic australia you know my flight leaves in two days he goes like i wouldn't get on that flight as i was you i'm like listen you don't understand my game they already paid my flight this is a first class ticket so you're talking thousands of dollars hotels already booked i'm already announced to be there you don't back out of these situations and he said you know if like if you were my my family member you know um i wouldn't let you get on that flight I go, man tell me what's going on he goes Do you have a DVT." i'm like what the f- is that i don't know what that is he goes i don't have time to explain you know get down here i'm going to give you some medication some blood thinner and we're gonna see if we can break it up so again fast forward um I'm still going to go to australia i got to make money uh you know uh, this is what we do right um so the day before i take my flight i'm packing my clothes and um i can't even walk around my house to pack my clothes i'm in so much pain and i i lay down and i i go to sleep crying because i'm in so much pain and i wake up at night and it's about 10 o'clock at night and i can't feel my leg my right leg i can't feel my arm i can't feel my chest I can't feel my junk, my groin, and I remember parts of movies where people say, you know, they couldn't feel their arm and they got a, it was a heart attack. You know, I'm like, God dang it! So I called him, my doctor, and I said, Hey man, I can't feel my, I can't feel my leg, my, you know, nothing. He goes, Get to the hospital now! I'm calling in. They go, Go oh, why? I go, I've been to these doctors three times. They don't know what the freak they're doing. He goes, Get there and tell me you got a DVT. I'm like, Dude, on what is that? He goes, But you don't have time. Just get there. My stupid butt, right? I step at Burger King before I go because I'm like ah, I'm gonna be there a couple hours. You know I'm hungry. You know I want something to eat, so I'm like at least I'll be full. So anyway, I get there and all that stuff. i uh all crap pizza fan. I get there, and my blood pressure is. You're gonna think this is crazy, but my blood pressure was 210 over 205. So when I got there, I'm joking, and when I look at my blood pressure, everybody just stops and more and more doctors and nurses are walking around and they're just staring at me how do you feel i'm like my leg hurts because that's it i'm like yeah he goes okay um how bad is it hurt i go bad enough for a grown man to be crying here in front of you and i'm like okay so you know we're going to get you out of pain. so they they drug me up and uh it just goes downhill from there um long story short um they they put me under and i don't remember anything else Um, what i'm telling you now is from everybody telling me i uh, i literally signed a consent uh that they could put me under um, because they had to go into my vein and try to do these blood clot busters or whatever and i was moving around too much because i was in pain and um, i guess they put me under and they were telling one of my family members they still can't do the surgery because i was still moving around and a doctor was yelling at my family member because she was saying, give him more than because she was, you know, she went to medical school. And he goes, no, you know, what? We, we've given him enough to, to kill a horse. Mm-hmm. And it's still fighting us in a coma. So um, I was in a coma for 10 days. I was in a hospital for four months. And when I came out of my coma, I just I didn't know what the hell was going on. Um, Again, long story short, you know they done all these surgeries. They thought they thought they saved the leg. Actually, I even put the video on Instagram. where the doctor said. I think we salvaged the right leg. But I just it was something inside me. I just knew it didn't work. And I even remember telling my family members, I won't be walking too long. You know, I'm going to lose my leg. And they thought I was giving up. Like you can't say that you're giving up. You know, I'm like no. I just I just I can tell. So, you know, I got out of hospital. uh, I think it was in June. I went back to the emergency room probably 30 times during that time, just in just incredible pain. And it got to the point where they start, finally started saying, you know, Flex, like, listen, there's no other surgeries we can do. We've done every surgery imaginable. Um, there's no more arteries. There's no more veins there for us to attach. The only other surgery we can do is, uh, is take your leg when the time comes. So I started preparing myself mentally that, you know, I was going to lose my leg and find being comfortable with it. Um, I was in Billings, Montana on a business meeting to open up my own nutrition company, and I couldn't even walk around. I was just in tears, uh, and everybody was asking me what was wrong. I was like, nothing, I'm okay. I got back to the airport, and I was with a business partner of mine. I could barely walk to the airport, and I'm just sobbing. And he's looking at me like, how the hell are you going to go to? And I was supposed to leave to go to um, Brazil. Uh, not Brazil, Dubai, for a month. He goes, how the hell, and I was supposed to leave in two days. How the hell are you going to get, you know, working to buy? Uh, you can't even walk in the airport. And it came over, and I'm like, damn, I'm going to have to cancel. I can't go. And I just made my mind up. I go, man, you know, when I get back home, I'm just going straight to the ER. So um, I contacted my wife, and I said, hey, this is what's going on. I'm just going to go to the ER. She goes, all right, well, when you get there, I'll meet you. You know, let me know when you land. And when I landed, I, I told her, hey, listen, I'm on my way to ER. She goes, you know what? It's like, just come, you know, come home, and I'll drive you. Um, got to the ER. Same ER I had been going to. That um, I was in the hospital for four months, and um, they uh, did an MRI, uh, ultrasound. I'm sorry. And she came back. And she just stared at me. She goes, we're at that point in time now. And I go, what do you mean? And she's like, you know, ninety percent of your calf. On your right side, it's 90% black, and on your left side, you know, it's a to 100%. And I was just like, take it. She goes, you sure? I'm like, yeah, just take it. And um, my wife was like, you know, we need to talk about this. We're like, no, we need to talk about shit. This is my leg. You know, I'm the one who's going through this. I said, take it. And uh, I go, plus, if you're saying I have that type of blood clot, it can break free and kill me, right? She goes, that's very true. I go, just take it. Yeah, just take it.
1: Wow. And so are you uh, missing from the, like, knee down?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm I'm below the knee, BK. Yeah, I'm below the knee.
1: And then uh, how has your pain been since that time?
3: Yeah. Um, worse, actually. Mm. So I would say um, during the surgeries that they were doing to try to save my leg, it caused uh, tremendous uh, um, nerve damage. Um, um, we call it neuropathy. And actually, one of the times uh, I almost died in the hospital, uh, one of the times they they actually had the, the stent that I told you or the graft that I told you was a micron. They have reason to believe that it's the main factor that caused the the um, DVT because it started failing. And they were explaining to me that, you know, it's plastic and it was never meant to last 15 years technology had gotten better i'm like damn like they'll give you a recall on your freaking seat though you know in a car but you guys never called me to let me know that you know might want to come in and have this damn thing looked at so um after all the surgeries the doctor you know before they took my leg when i was in the hospital for four months um they actually he actually decided to create a new graph that graph goes from my pec here and it goes all the way down to my right leg um and they thought that's when he said, you know, in a, in a video, we think we saved it. Well, even in that, of course, you know, anatomy, all your veins come into this area. So they damaged all the veins where I lost use uh, uses of my my right side, my pec, my shoulder, um, uh, my arm for, you know, like three months. I couldn't even use my right arm. Um, and it caused uh, tremendous uh, nerve damage and neuropathy where, um, you know, it hasn't came back yet. So I am in. Mean, Constant pain like that, and one of the pictures I showed on Instagram, of uh, my once powerful bicep—it's—it just sags over. I can't even uh, flex or make it move or anything like that. So uh, the pain I go through is it's neuropathy it's, and also phantom pain from losing uh, my my limb. So um, you know, it is what it is. I don't want to make it seem like a soft story. I, I want to, you know, end this on by saying, you asked me before, you know, were you ever happy? Ever happy? Never, never When it shows, all the money I've made, all the crazy cars. Never. Um, once I lost my leg and I decided, you know, before they took my leg, I said, um, I want to be a spokesperson for, for transplant. You know, I want to be a spokesperson for amputees. You know, I really feel that, um, you know, God didn't allow me to go through. Um, he didn't allow me to go through all this in life um, for no reason. And I felt that every battle that I had, every great thing that I did was to prepare me for this. And I just made my mind up, man, you know, I can't be this global name and figure. And then when the worst thing imaginable happened to me, go duck and hide. So that's when I started doing all these interviews with myself on camera while I was in the hospital because I just knew I had to, I wanted to bring awareness to this and to people who are amputees and so on. So um, it's great. And, you know, to finish answering your other question about me being happy, first time in the world I've ever been happy. You know, I remember the first time I, I went to the airport to pick up my daughters because they were coming to see me after I had lost my leg. And I was um, sitting there in my wheelchair with my wife, and and I was like, this is so embarrassing. And she goes, what? I go, you know, just having everybody look at me like this. She goes, oh, Flex, don't worry about them. And then she stops. She goes, you know what? I'm going to shut up because I don't know what it's like what you're going through. And I was like, it's sad because people look at me with empathy. When they have no idea, I'm so happy. So you might look at all those great pictures and videos of me. And I'm like, wow, this dude must be happy. You Look at him. I hated myself. And it took for me to lose my leg. To find complete and utter happiness. I don't care about what I look like when I go in public. You know, I don't care if I'm sitting straight or standing straight. Uh, so it's brought me so much joy and happiness. It's a gift. It's think- what happened to me. And now I can help people who, um, who are in a genre that I could never help before.
1: I think what you brought up is is really interesting because, okay, now someone can physically see that you're missing something. So somebody, they may pity that. They may have empathy towards that because they might say, this is all I know is to live this way with two legs. I wonder what it's like to be him. I wonder what it's like to live the way that you're living. But we don't do that enough sometimes when we're thinking about, uh, and I, I don't mean pity, but we don't put ourselves in people's shoes enough to to have good consideration of somebody else's perspective you mentioning you grew up in the ghetto and you mentioning uh you guys didn't have money and you were abused and all these things you know the interactions that that Maybe you and I have, maybe we, we come to like a misunderstanding and maybe from my perspective, I should think, well, maybe that guy has got some shit going on in his life that I just don't know anything about, you know? So I think sometimes it's good to have these recognitions and with what you have right now, people can clearly, uh, people can clearly see it. And so I think it, it allows you to, to be a spokesman for this side of things in a maybe more obvious, uh, circumstance.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, when you go through, um, you know, a lot of my military buddies, um, they call it dark waters. You know, when you just inhale you're you're just, it's like being out in the middle of the ocean and it's pitch dark. Uh, you feel like that when you go through really dark times like that, um, unless you're a complete idiot or not self-aware, I'll take that back from being an (laughs) idiot. Um, you look at other people and you, you'll give them space. You'll give them a second look because you don't know what they're going through. Again, before we all agreed, all you see of a person is their greatness and what they've done. You have no idea how hard. And so you you might feel some type of way because they have this. But you don't know what hell they've been through. So, um, And that's kind of one of the reasons why I choose to be transparent now. You know, I know some people look at it as a weakness and, you know, oh, man, you can never say that as a punk move. I wasn't talking to you. You know what I mean? My message wasn't for you. You know, um, a a lot of people gave me some crap when I went back on Olympia stage because I I didn't look like the guy I was before. I'm like, this message wasn't for you. Uh, This message, I went back on Olympia stage because I wanted to show people just through the worst unthinkable things. You don't have to stop fighting. You can get up in the morning and if I can go through everything I've been through and and get back on stage with more scars and, uh, you know, having a fight with Freddie Cougar and Jason, you know, if I can get back up on this stage and, uh, and still try to fight, maybe I can inspire you just to, to get up. Cause sometimes, man, when you're going through depression, like I go through, or, you know, when you're suicidal, I've been suicidal all my life and still is, you know, it's just trying to make it through the next second. It's, it's a challenge. And I just want to show people who, was in that type of environment, man, we can still keep fighting and try to just be a, a little bit of a bright light for them. So for everybody who didn't understand the message or don't understand the message that I'm saying now, man, that's great. I'm happy. You don't know what I'm talking about. Cause that means you don't know. And you haven't experienced what I've experienced But for the people who have, yeah, I'm talking to you and you truly understand what I'm talking about.
2: You know, I'm curious about this because, uh, When, when a lot of people look at you and your history, you're an amazing bodybuilder, you're a martial artist. You, um, it, it seemed that like your focus at that time was into your body. Right. And now, Mm -hmm. um, obviously after the surgeries and you're still going to be recovering, you're going to be, you're going to be, and you are doing more physical things, but it's like, the focus has been taken away from the body itself and now it's like there's a lot of focus on your mind you were bringing up a lot of spirituality how has your identity shifted like you personally like what what i mean obviously there are physical differences now with you but Mm -hmm. in terms of your focus on a day-to-day basis um how has that changed
3: you know it's weird i've been going through this you know uh, it's like uh Old fiction, you know. When a great Samuel Jackson said, "You know, you're lucky because you got me a transitional stage in my life. <laughs> or else I would have opt you." So I've been going through a transitional stage for a while now. You know, um, you know, for a while I've been going through that. I, I didn't like the type of person I was. I never did. I never liked the person I was. I hated myself for the way I thought about my th- things, uh, the way I did things. I hated myself. Um, and I would talk to certain people about that. You know, Rico was one I was brutally honest with. I remember telling Rico um, I, I had a seven-story. So I had a seven-story house in Venice on um, on um, Main Street, right? And I had a. It was a two-car garage, and one side of my garage was a uh, a brand new uh, a brand new SO F- 500 when it first came out. And on the other side was a brand new Harley. Uh, and I, I could never leave the house without a couple of hundred dollars in my pocket out of my ignorance and not knowing. I didn't know what a credit card was. You know, I, I didn't know. Um, I didn't know any of that. I didn't, I didn't grow up understanding any of that. Nobody taught that to me. But I remember we're driving around Beverly Hills and my, and my 500 so was top down, me and Rico. And, uh, and I said, Rico, man, and I go, i wow. Money don't make you happy, do it? He was like, "Damn, Flex, you finally realize that, huh?" So you know, he knew he he knew me as a person, and I, Robin Chain, who is an incredible friend of mine. Um, I remember we we're sitting in my jacuzzi one day, and um, I said the same thing: "Oh man, money, women don't make you happy, do it?". He goes no, nope. it goes like a big black hole. You just pour crap into it. It's like devours it and eats it and wants more, you know, um, but uh, more so when bad things started happening uh, to me when I started, you know, kind of when I knew I was going to um, lose my kidney due to uh, FSGF and um, I thought I'd be able to come back from it. Uh, I still thought I was going to be able to come back and compete in Olympia the next year because I did like, you know, I broke my neck C5 and C6 and I was in Olympia a month later, you know, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to bounce back from this. And I remember the doctors telling me there's no coming back from this one. I remember even talking to Bruce Buffer because I was going to go into K1 at the time, you know, cause I was like, you know what, I'll just switch gears, man. You know, I'll go and fight, you know, I can't compete anymore. I can't take what I need to take, you know, I'll go and fight. And so He was actually, we were actually talking about setting up me a match. And uh, I think my match at that time was going to be Bob Sapp, you know, uh, to fight him, Um, which I haven't talked about too much. But, you know, so I was like, man, I'm going to kill it. You know, people have no idea, you know, my fighting skills, you know. uh, But um, so I was in a hospital for almost a year, my kidney transplant. I I had 11 surgeries in nine weeks that i almost died from so when i went in the hospital i weighed 260 pounds and i just came off stage i think i was like two percent body fat when i got out of the hospital i was 198 pounds and just skin and bones so what happened is i I just got beaten down so much from life i just gave in i just gave up on all that and just started being me and i didn't care about uh being anything special anymore um i just want to live and I, I remember talking to god the whole time and saying wow you got a sick sense of humor <laughs> here it is you know from the age of like 14 i've been trying to kill myself and now you turn it around and i'm actually fighting to be here like dude you got it like wow you got me so that's when i started changing um i think I, i'm still changing um, as i talk to my my sons, um, I was I always tell them, listen, you're ahead of me. You haven't made uh, mistakes that I had. It took me 54 years to get to the man I am now. And I'd rather live two seconds of this age of what I am now than any more of the 54 years before this. So it's it's just a trend. There's no stage. I, I, it's kind of a double-edged sword because when you really view yourself And look at yourself in the mirror of all the bad things you've done. Um, it's not good. You make a choice and either lying to yourself or, uh, saying, you know, I deserve this or I'm better than this, but, you know, I just didn't. So, um, I had to start saying, you know, I have to accept myself. You know, I got to accept me. And, uh, sometimes that's really hard to accept that this is who you are. And, um, you know, I had to start telling myself, you need to learn to love yourself. You know, more so than um, can you love other things. I love my cars more than I did. Right? I love my clothes more, so I took better care of them. Mm. Dude, I touched my car; it's always going to be spotless, but yet I was staying. So, um, it's just a transitional stage on me um, that I'm going through. I'm continuously going through, and uh, you know, I just I don't I don't I don't want my legacy to be. You know flex wheeler some guy who was pretty good on pre-composing and training you know i just want my legacy uh, to be uh you know that i was a person who cured and you know wanted to help other people
1: earlier you yeah. said how everything's kind of like an opinion and uh i'm a big believer in a lot of this as well and also a big believer that beliefs are just they're made up you know you just yeah We happen to make them up, and then I don't know why we hang on to them for so long, or, you know, we hold them so dear to our heart, and sometimes they're wrong. Um, Do you believe that happiness is kind of the same way? Like, you can just, uh, do you believe that, uh, like, I guess for yourself, like, do you feel you have access to happiness um, and you've always had access to happiness? You just didn't, you didn't know how to feel happy?
3: Sure. Um, Like, it's a choice. See, um, I'm aware of that now right? It's what you make of it, right? Life is what you make of it. And, you know, uh, I think everybody has a quality of that where, say, you're, you know, your, your dog just got hit or you broke up with your girlfriend. What are you going to do? You're going to listen to sad music, right? Uh, misery Loves Company. I think that's who cool. we are as a person. Um, or we can change. There are certain people out there who will snap out of that rut, like, you know what? I got to get out of that rut. So, um, no, and that there's a lot of things that happened in my, my early childhood that stained me to, to have negative and hardship, but I didn't have to stay there. Um, for whatever reason, I was just locked into that and I still deal with those demons now. Um, but of course it's, like I said before, it's perception. So an example of all of the things that happened to me before, um, now I say, you know, I have a different saying. You know, life deals you lemons, and you know, life deals everyone lemons. Everyone is going to go through something. So instead of looking at it bad like a sour lemon, I'm like you know what? Let me take this lemon and make lemonade out of it, and make the best lemonade I can and have people drink from my cup of knowledge of what I've been through, so that they don't have to do this same situation. You know, right? It's just my perception of how I looked at it. Right. So. That completely answers your, your, your answer, your question on what is that great saying? A cup is a cup is just half full, right? Cup is just half full. I can look at this cup and be like, "Damn, you got half left." God damn it! Or I can be like, "Man, you know what, dude? I drunk half and I still got half left." Are you kidding me? <laughs> a Cup is just half, dude. It's my perception of how I looked at it, and sometimes you just got to change your focus. You know, in life, your outlook. Um, so, yeah, that capability is in all of us. Might be easier for some and harder than others. So.
2: You know, I'm, I want to ask you this because you know it was only what three years ago when you wanted to make a comeback back to the stage in 2017, and you mm-hmm. actually did go back to the stage in classic physique, and I think you placed fifteenth. Um, now, mm-hmm. what prompted you to after? this long time of not competing at all and everything that's happened to shoot. I'm just going to get back on the stage again.
3: Um, for years, people have asked me to come back and compete and I always would tell them, are you kidding me, man? If you knew how many scars I had all over my body, you know, like I said earlier, it's like, you know, I got jumped by Freddie Coogan and Jason and they both had their way with me. They both with my ass Um, but I, it was always inside me i i i got yanked away from you know my lifestyle everybody else got to walk away they got to hey it's my last time you know thank you and and all that i got ripped away and it always bothered me deeply um but i knew i wasn't me anymore right i got one kidney it's in front now it bulges out you know um certain things i can't do i've had you know Horrible back surgeries. Um, you know, my my L five and uh, was it L four L five is de- degenerate over ninety percent, ninety nine percent now, and so I can't even do certain movements. If I bend over improperly, I'll hit the ground and be on my way to the hospital. So that limits surgery, right? Um, I, I waited too long for one of my back surgeries, so uh, my sciatic nerve killed my my right calf doesn't even fire anymore. So I'm like, how can I go up on stage with so many defects? you know and continuously going through life and 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 meeting and talking to other people um it's like how can i not go up on stage now and um actually the big motivator was uh, stan you know we trained he goes man you know you you should come back flex you come back I'm like Are you kidding me what do you want you set me up for failure you know what i look like right like no you know i think you know yeah i think it'd be a great success story you know everything you've been through and i'm like but my mind frame was the flex wheeler guy how can i go on stage being in in, you know imperfections glaring imperfections like um and i remember danny hester you know a close friend he's training partner of mine my training videos he won the uh, classic physique olympia and i remember talking to him that sunday I was like, wow, man, you know, congratulations. Now he goes, man, you know, Flex, you can do, you can do this. And Kevin had just already competed and I'd seen the backlash that he had, you know, because he wasn't the Kevin of old. And no matter what, when you achieve kind of the levels that we have on stage, you can't come back and compete against that man. You know, it's like as great as Jordan was when he came back, he wasn't a Jordan that he was before he left. Part of the time he was undefeated. Right. You know, regardless of whether we believe it or not. So I knew I couldn't go back and compete against those guys. I'll get walked on. Plus, I can't do the things that they possibly are doing, uh, <laughs> to look that way. So, like, well, you know, as fast as I could probably do that, you know, because I was already walking around like two thirty, and, and so on. I, I can do that. So to answer your question, um, I just wanted to make a statement. Um, I always said, and I didn't want to get, have nobody get it twisted. I was going up there because I thought I was going to walk on everybody. I, I kept saying, I just want to stand up on stage with these great young men. I want to be able to say goodbye uh, to everyone. But more so, like I said earlier, just for people who deal with depression, people who deal with being suicidal, people who deal with a trash uh, uh victims, uh, you know, people who. You know, we just have been through a lot in life. Like I said, sometimes, man, it's just hard getting through the next minute of the day. Um, and I just wanted to go on stage and show them, like, look, here I am, um, in, in, um, um, imperfect in every way. But if I can go and do everything I can to go back on the greatest stage in the world, maybe you can just get through the next minute. Maybe you can get through the next hour. You know, maybe you can just, you know, live a little better. Maybe you can eat better. Because sometimes when I'm I'm going through my hell, all the darkness, I won't even eat. I'll, I'll go through days without eating. And to be honest with you, sometimes I don't even take my medication because I just don't care. So it was just to promote people and myself to do better. And that's the real reason why I went up there. And, um, you know, I was a little upset because I am still competitive because I, I look way better a couple of weeks before I went into the show and things didn't go right. And uh, I was really mad and hurt. And uh, and I remember Rico, you know, again, who was there supporting me. Um, I was telling him how upset I was because he knew i showed him pictures and videos of, of what I looked like, you know, two weeks before. He goes, Flex, why would you go up there? And I wanted to go up there to inspire people. He goes, but you did that. Did that. I go, not really, man. I could have looked better. He goes, So would you prefer to go up there and win? Or would you prefer to go up there and inspire people? So inspire people goes, You did that. Let the rest go. That's it. Okay. You know, so yeah, I just want to inspire people, man
1: it's uh having a friend like like rico mcclinton is is awesome like whenever i think like even just as you're talking about him i can't think about him without thinking of his big smile like that's the kind of guy that even just when you see him from across the way see him from across the room in the gym you you just automatically start smiling you know he's going to say have some wise-ass remark or he's going to (laughs) say something funny or something silly he's going to make fun of you or or just be positive you know sometimes he just comes up and he's just uh super positive i always admire that from from some other people that can uh, pull that off all the time you know I don't know how how they do it what are some things you know in coming with uh in coming uh, in contact with stan efforting over the years he, stan is very like stoic and um you know I, I don't think stan has ever had a depressed day in his life but I don't know maybe maybe he has uh, what has it been like having a friend like that who uh maybe uh in some aspects is is a little different than you are
3: yeah, it's completely different uh, than I am. Uh, uh, you're right. You know, never met anybody like him. You know, um, we met uh, because he was a client of mine, and I was charging an audacious amount of money uh, to train people. Uh, I've told the story before, so I'm sure he doesn't mind. I was tra- charging 500 a session. Okay. Uh, Stan paid for him and a friend He trained with me for months, twice a day. Didn't blink. Didn't blink. And, uh, when I started to get to know him, um, I, I got to know very quickly how intelligent he was and, uh, kind of intimidating intelligence because you don't see him coming. You don't see him coming at all. And, uh, I remember we clashed with my theories on training versus his and dieting. And uh at the time I needed to generate that money. And I was like, if I open my big mouth, I could mess mess with my money. <laughs> you know, maybe I, you know, this dude went to school for all this. Maybe I just, you know, back up and but I, I just stood my ground. And I said, This is the reason why and we talked about it and he goes, Okay. He goes, You're a legend, I'm not. I'll follow suit. And I was like, wow. <laughs> And, uh, you know, he's done videos where he said, you know, I took him in places he's never been before where he thought he was going to die. But uh, he's just different. So you, you got to understand. And I told him, I go, for a while, people aren't going to like you. He goes, why? And he's a very likable, very nice guy. I go, in this sport, you have some demons. You got some people who don't like you, bro. He's like, why? And I go, Stan, most of us got in this sport to make a living. We pay our bills, take care of our family. They go, you walk around with a black card in your back pocket, <laughs> right? You know, you own mansions, you own businesses. You're not hurting for money. So a lot of people are going to be looking at you, what the fuck are you doing here, dog? You know, you're taking money away from our plate. He goes, really, you think so? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, so what type of man was very successful in all the avenues that he was at that time, would go into gym and be punished twice a day. I mean, the other person I won't say well, I won't say their name, but it's not hard to find out. I'm not saying a name for bad reasons, but um, he would pass out. I'd have to pour cold water on him sometimes. And Stan would lay down on a verge of passing out, and he would laugh on the verge of passing out. He would just laugh and say, "I love this shit." <laughs> and I'd look at him and I'd like, "What's wrong with you, man?" You know, we would be eating. I will go and make sure, you know, because he, ha- he actually moved from Seattle Washington to San Jose, where I was living, and he stayed in a, uh, uh, what is it called? He stayed in a still, now I hate him for doing it, At extended stay.
1: So he can cook and, and everything. This is a
3: man coming from his his mansion, living in an extended stay, two-bedroom extended stay, and he'd be like, I love this shit. And we would go and eat, and... Um, and he, he would tell me that his teeth hurt, you know, from just eating steak, because all I fed him was steak, steak, steak. And he goes, man, I got to go to the dentist. My teeth are hurting. You know, they're loose. And he was just like, I love this shit. I'm like, Oh, wow, you're different. Um, so we became incredible friends. And uh, <laughs> I asked him one time, um, what happened when, you know, and, and I think around 2005, 6, 7, when Economy hit, and a lot of people lost money in uh, real estate. He goes, uh, I went to bed, and I woke up, and I was a million dollars in a hole. You know, I'm like, wow. Damn. And if you remember back then, it was people, millionaires, who were committing suicide. Mm. And uh, sadly. And I asked him, I'm like, what did you do? And he's like, so my Bentley, and I went back to work. <laughs> I go, what? Yeah, I sold my Bentley, sold some of my properties, and I went back to work. I was like, wow, man. You got rid of your Bentley? He goes, yeah, I didn't need it. Needed work, needed money, needed capital. I was like, wow, you're different, man. Um, But um, he's been a pillar of strength for me. Uh, He's someone that I can truly be uh, Kenny Wheeler around. Um, I remember when we first started. Really getting to know each other, and I'm being brutally honest about my struggles. And I would always tell him, I go, Wow, you're probably embarrassed. You know, probably, you probably let down that, you know, this Flex Wheeler persona guy isn't really that. I'm like, you know, uh, the old uh, Wizard of Oz. You know, I'm in this big, huge feature, but behind the closed w- windows, you know, the curtains, I'm this little guy moving things around. He goes, No. He goes, Actually, I respect you so much more, you know, for, for the person that you are. So, One of my closest friends in the world, Um, been extremely helpful um, through all this, all my problems that I had, back surgeries and the amputee. And, um, yeah, I would be where I am now if it wasn't for him, you know, um, solid guy, strong I only seen him get upset twice because I never thought he'd get upset. And the two times he got upset, I was like, okay, I don't want to see you get upset anymore. I got to tell one of them. Yes. Both were about food too. Uh, we were at a show. <laughs> we were at a show, um, and we were in a, we we're in a car on our way back to go eat and some taxi driver pulled in front of him and he was hungry. And uh, he looked at the dude, put up a sign and rolled down the window. And the dude was like, fuck you. He's like, no, fuck with me. Let's fuck with me. So he changed the guy like, "Stand, cool, cool down, cool down. Fuck you. And then the other time, uh, the other time we were going to the airport and they made him throw away his food. And he got lit. So he's mad. And there was a guy looking at him. And, he, and it was a woman. Uh, you know, some of the Bill Weiss so he was lit. I ain't gonna say everything he said, but it was a guy, another guy, who was staring at him, and he looked up and, fuck you, looking at <laughs> <laughs> forgive me. Forgive me for cussing and everything, but I was like, wow. So I used to always tease him. We'd travel around, you know, the world, and um, I'd be like, man, you know what? Um, people probably think we're the oddest couple in the world. <laughs> Because here I am, this tattooed guy. I look like I don't. Act. They probably think I'm some art and cut out the print, you know, prison or whatever. And I go, look at you, freaking big, huge white dude, bald. I go, you look like freaking some KKK or or freaking hell's Angle guy. You know, you look, you know, and 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 in certain clubs. They how they have what they call thumpers. So they're the guy who will go out and fight your number one guy. And that'll keep them from killing everybody. So I'm like, you look like you're a freaking thumper from the HHA, man. You know, freaking hands this gig. I was, these two guys doing what he other? So I would just laugh, you know, when people stare at us. I'm like, ah, I, I changed him. You know, he used to be in the HHA, you know, Hell's Angel and, you know, KKK. And, I, you know, I transferred him over. So he's cool now, you know. So I said, uh, yeah, he's an amazing guy. Amazing guy. Amazing husband. Amazing that, uh, he continues to, to set the bar and upset me, you know, by him continuing just doing better because it forces me to do better. And, you know, uh, even him when he's doing his squats and he just did another one, some damn six or seven plates on it. I always send him a text like, you know, F you, man, <laughs> you know, uh, cause he's still just doing it. He's, a uh, he's a great guy, man. Um, too bad it's not more men like that out there in the world, but amazing, amazing friend to me. And, um, yeah.
1: I know his wife uh, hates those extended stays. She gets pissed. She's like, you know, she, she actually, they, they came over to a place that we were renting when we were, my wife and I were in Los Angeles and we rented this beautiful house on the beach in Malibu. And she just looked at Stan. She's like, Stan will never do shit like this for me. And he's like, we got to stay at the extended stay, babe. (laughs) She's like, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) So he was getting roasted.
3: No, you know, and the same thing, I go somewhere and, you know, he rent a, Volkswagen. He did that a couple of times. But Volkswagen, man, so we're touching shoulders, soldier, and, you know, jokingly, you know, I, I don't, I won't say it anymore, but I used to say I'm a homophobic, and I found out that that's a, I could, a derogatory comment towards them, um, so I don't use it anymore, but I am very conscious of uh, of men, you know, um, and let me be clear, I, I don't care. If you're you know, gay, lesbian, whatever, man, you have a right to be whatever you want, regardless of whether I agree or whatever or not. You have a right, and you should live the life the way you want, um, regardless if my feelings are different. But um, he rented this little tiny car. I'm like, Dude, come on, man. I got an image. Are you kidding me? Goes, this is a damn rented car. Why am I going to spend money on a car that ain't mine? And he's just that type of guy. He's so secure with himself that when I run a car, it got to be the highest-end car. I'm blowing money. I need to be seen. He goes, who gives a damn what people see? It's who you are. And I'm like, only a rich person would say that, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it's not true. Um, he's just very comfortable in himself. You know, you'll never see him wearing expensive watch. Most of the time, his tennis shoes are not even tied up. You know, I remember going in his closet when he lived in Seattle, and I took a video of laughing like the the clothes he had in there was like outdated flannel and stuff i'm like what the hell who wears this man and uh he's just comfortable in himself man you know uh, you know it's an old street term we used to use you know back before you know i don't need to pimp my right because it's a pimp in my ride. <laughs> you know that's then. you don't need to show off as a man because he is a man you know
1: yeah, he told me about some of those brutal workouts he used to have him do, and he—I think he said you would do like ten sets of ten in the AM session and ten sets of ten in the PM session. Mm. I've never heard of anything like that before. That's like, you know, some German volume training time <laughs> times two. <laughs> that sounds brutal.
3: I, I created my twenties, and you know, and uh, he takes it now. He's like, yeah, twenties a change your life, but I just, you know, I just had a, I just had a. I didn't know it, but I was always studying. I was always mental. I was always cerebral, right? Overthink things. Um, And I remember, you know, I started doing 20s. Um, Even me, Enrico, and Chris, we we got to the point where we could put, like, over 25 plates on a leg press and we can do reps of 20s. It wouldn't bother us. We conditioned ourselves to be able to do that. And, you know, a lot of people back then would say, you can't do high reps like that. It is story to muscle. And I was like, like oh, you know you historically you look at some of the guys who have the biggest chests in the world, biggest arms in the world. They're in prison. All they do is bench and and work arms every day. And you know I uh, had some buddies who used to be in prison. They send me pictures. You know, cats with like freaking 60 inch chest, and they put a coke bottle on it and make it pop and jump up. I'm like, how is that? Oh, they do it every day. And, you know, I start studying, like, Olympic uh, 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 skaters. That skater on oval. Some of the most massive, round, full quads you can imagine. How is that possible? When every day they train legs. Every day they're basically in a squat position, skating. How is that possible? Just like it's a fluke. That's not true. You know, if you can use repetitions with maximum to medium weight, it will cause greater growth and, growth, and some muscles aren't powerful enough to carry a lot of weight, like your calves. You know, um, they carry you all day long. They're an endurance muscle. You're not going to crack them. You're not going to kill them by going super, super heavy. They'll fail that way. You know, you can't curl freaking 30 times all day or 100 times all day. How many steps do you take a day? No other body part can do that. So how can you train it the same? So I'm like, huh. So I started doing reps of uh, 20s. I would do four sets. So one rep of 20, drop one rep of 20, drop one rep of 20. That's one set. And that's how my calves start growing. And oh, everybody knows about 21s, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody knows about 21s. Half up, half down, Seven, seven, seven. right? Whenever you do one set, you're like crying. You don't want no more. You are very mental. It could hit you three more sets. And I'm like, how is that possible? So I started just applying that to all muscle groups, um, and what I came up with is, as you get older, like an old fort like me, you can't move the same type of weight. But if you change it and, and include those repetitions in there, you can create the same type of workload without causing a stress on the muscles. You can cause the same type of fatigue, and you actually get more blood into the muscles. On top of that, it's a cardio workout too. Um, H, what is it? Hit training came out. So that's it's kind of the same thing, and I, I remember Stan even counseling me on it. He's like, you know, I'm not going to say no no training system, but you know, he goes, you know, a lot of these training systems are based off of things that you did all your life. I go, I know, I hate that. <laughs> you know, they come up with these great names like TF three four, and they're doing the same stuff. I'm like, damn it, man! They're going, I'm tired of these people being smarter than me and marketing <laughs> something. He goes. And even like, you know, he doesn't hide his, his, his diet that he has out now is based on a diet that he did with me, you know, and, and it's no insult, you know, at all. But, um, yeah, once again, he's just great, but yeah, that's just, that's how it came up. With my philosophy of training. Um, yeah, definitely.
2: It's definitely a training style though that a lot of people are not willing to do because it's so damn painful.
3: <laughs> <clears throat> You're right. And, um, even back when we were, um, when I was training, um, I always knew, you know, my my limit for some reason on squatting was six plates. I just couldn't do more. Um, I would blow blood vessels in my eyes. I would shoot blood out or whatever. Um, but if people are around, I chose to go heavy and do like five or six. Then a freaking drop that thing down to three fifteen and hit twenty. I didn't want none of that because then my heart is aching, my legs feel like they're about to explode, and mentally. I'm gone. It's way easier to go heavy and knock out a few. It takes, and, and my clients now, they argue with me, like, you know, can I change to doing something else? You know, I'm going to say, I'm like, bullcrap. Well, I've been doing the same work, and I'm like, bullcrap. Listen, um, if you ever played football, doing a down and out, it's a down and out it's the same way you did in Pop Warner. It's the same way you do it in the NFL. What's different? You've mastered it. And what makes it different? You can do it better. So as you advance, you don't have to change anything. You advance, and that makes it harder. So advance and push harder. If if you're getting ready to squat a billion pounds, um, you're going to get mental. You're going to get psyched. You're going to look at this. That's the difference. If you're squatting one pound, you're just going to get on there and do it. The movement is the same. If I'm boxing or if I'm doing a sidekick, my sidekick is the same as it was when I was an amateur. It's just I'm more patrician at it now. Bruce Lee put it best. You know, I fear not the man who practices a thousand kicks. I fear the man who practices one kick a thousand times. So it's the intensity that changes your workout, not the workout. It's the intensity that changes it.
1: Were you surprised by uh, Stan coming into powerlifting? I mean, he, when he went to you, he did a little bit of powerlifting already, and I'm sure he was incredibly strong. But doing 20 reps, maybe he didn't always see that upper end strength level. And he went right from you in San Jose, right over to me yeah. in Sacramento.
3: Yeah,
1: and then like just completely ripped through powerlifting like nobody's ever done before, kind of the way you did in your early bodybuilding career. He just ripped right through and just started breaking all-time world records pretty much out of nowhere. Did that shock you or surprise you at all?
3: Who oh, didn't it shock? You know, I, I knew he was strong, but I didn't see a lot of that crazy strength because we we did reps. You know, about time he got the squat and we had already done maybe a couple of exercises and probably over a hundred reps. So he didn't have that type of, uh, that type of burst or anything. And I didn't want him to, because, you know, I mean, I always thought, um, at your peak strength is when you're most vulnerable of tearing something, you know, uh, you, you gotta, it's like a race car, you know, they'll break trying to break a record because they're giving everything they have. So when he went there and obviously I had the honor of being there, I just felt, you know, I felt like I was around a rock star, Cause everybody knew who he was and you know, he wanted me there. And, but I was like, I was, I was just in awe. Some I go back and I look at those videos. I mean, that's some real superhuman type stuff. And once again, you know, that's what makes him so different. You got a guy who's highly educated, highly educated, not just school wise, just, just intuitively educated. Right you got a guy who's multifaceted in businesses, multifaceted, uh, three different revenue streams where he's making millions of dollars. Okay. Then he comes and trains with me and goes through hell and wins his pro card. Then he wants to put himself through more hell and go in powerlift. And he don't just go and do it. He goes and crushes it. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not a lot of people who have that ability, man. I want to add, face humble, and and, you know he's the most approachable guy.
1: I want to also add that he was he he was my age that I am right now when he did it. So I'm 43. You know, like that's I can't even I can't make sense of that.
3: (laughs) No, I I still tease him and tell him you know to f off because in a good way. um, (laughs) He's still doing things that men of of his age can't do, squatting that type of weight, and for such long periods of time, minimum to no injuries whatsoever. Listen, we'll go back and I'll say it like I said before. There's just some people who are born with a special gift. Don't F with them because you'll hurt yourself. What you do is sit back and you watch the show. You just watch the show. Don't be a part of the show. (laughs) (laughs) You just sit back and get your popcorn and you just watch the show, man, because they're meant to do things that are just unhuman and superhuman.
1: Are you able to exercise now?
3: yeah i uh I, I still train um i i just started back kind of training my leg actually i just got my final version of my leg where is it i don't have it on right now pearl is my leg over there <laughs> could you bring it to me princess um so it's still painful um it's just something i got to go through um I, I've been through pain all my life. So just, I just look at this as another battle, uh, that I got to win. So I'm able to train. Um, I, you know, I, I do the same workouts and everything that I did before, just a lot lighter.
2: Um,
3: and I take a lot, a lot of long time, uh, longer time to, uh, recover and stuff. Um, trying to get back into it because of the COVID thing and just coming out of my surgeries, I had a lot of atrophy, um, a lot of nerve damage, but yeah, training is the only problem true, problem of you. It truly is. There's no pills. There, there's no shots or injection, and I'm aware of that. And uh, you know, I, I think because of my training, um, I've been able to sustain so many super surgeries and horse, horse times that I've been through. And I got to go back even deeper than that and say it's the man upstairs who gave me that ability. But I, I just got the final version of my leg uh, today, and of course Ooh. I had to, uh, yesterday I had to put my, my famous picture on there. So that's my buddy here. You know, you guys would be seeing a lot of us uh, walking around. So, yeah, um, but um, back to training, um, want to get in shape. And, you know, I, I just, like I said before, um, trying to launch my nutrition company. So I, I have to put myself out there um, to get back in shape. And it's just another learning curve. I think it's a different audience that I can talk to at my age. I'll I'll be 55 next month. Um, so, you know, I just I hate people make excuses. I can't use my leg as an excuse for I'm not in shape. I've seen so many great people who are amputees and they're just crushing it. I've had millions of amputees contact me all around the world and and they're just crushing it, getting it in. How can I sit here and make an excuse? You know, uh, people who are older than me who are in great shape. How can I sit there and make an excuse? Um, So I I can't, you know, it doesn't matter. Back surgery, kidney surgery. Um, You know, I still have my rare disease that I have to fight for. Uh, There's no cure to it. Um, it's a lot of medication I have to take due to that and due to this, but there's still so many other people out there who have it so much harder than I am. How can I sit there and, and piss off and make a damn excuse? I'd rather try to, um, help people not to make excuses instead of being on a bandwagon. That's, that's, uh, in the words of the great, um, President Kennedy, that's a defeatist mind frame. Can't have that, can't accept it.
1: Yeah. Your story is miraculous. So thank you so much for sharing it. We really appreciate it.
3: No, thank you, brother, man. Your podcast, and, you know, again, I commend you on everything you've done. And to be honest, people like you and Stan, they highlight, uh, you know, my weaknesses. Um, You know, and I mean that in a good way. You know, kind of this new Internet thing has taken, you know, uh, a multifaceted, right? And you've got to be a part of some incredible major revenue stream. And um, I know when it first starts coming aboard, a lot of people would be pissed. Because you have these, you know, um, YouTubers or whatever at an event and they have a queue wrapped around the building, you
2: know, <laughs> yeah.
3: and other uh, old timers like, man, what is this? You know, you've done all this and who are these guys? And I'm like, I'm not mad at them, man. That ability is open to all of us. All they've done is both the in our weakness. It's up to me to get my game up. So what you've been able to do inspires me. Uh, what Stan's been able to do inspires me. But i'm not stupid i know to stay in my own lane i don't want to get bent up you know if i kind of pull over to a lane of a diesel it ain't gonna go too well but i'm inspired by what you've done i commend you on what you've done and what you're doing thank you so much for having me on your show man i appreciate it uh greatly and uh you know just you and your family um you know I, i know you and your brothers and we know all each other personally and uh got an amazing family and an amazing dad, you know, who's helping me with my taxes right now. <laughs> Thank God. Thank goodness. But, um, yeah. It's just, um, at the end of the day, brother, it's just, it's just really nice to meet other nice people in the world, especially now and what we're going through. And, you know, it's really hard. Um, everything we're going through, you know, me personally, I used to be a police officer. So um, it's difficult for me, but I also have been, You know, uh, mistreated by police officers I had guns drawn on me for no reason. So I've had the unique uh, ability to see it from both sides. And, uh, you know, being a, it's like being a powerlifter or bodybuilder. You might love it, but it doesn't mean it loves you, which means it's not meant for you. I can love bodybuilding, basketball all I want. I suck. So what if I continue to try to pursue this basketball career? I'm going to suck. I might love it, but it doesn't love me. It's not meant for me. Bodybuilding is not meant for everybody. Anybody can work out. Anybody can better themselves. Could be a world-class bodybuilder. Sorry. It's not meant for everybody. You've been a great, recognized power lifter in everything you've done. Everybody can work out, right? Everybody can't do that stand type of crap. Um, Same thing with being a police officer. It's a career. It's not a job. It's a career. And just because you're smart and can pass the test doesn't mean you deserve to be an officer. I'm thankful that I chose and got into another sport because it it was really hard. It's very difficult to walk in and deal with everybody's crap and go home and be comfortable. You know, um, it's difficult, you know, because it wears on you. I worked in a jail for a long time and, you know, it it will turn you into a type of person. And I'm happy I was able to walk away from that. Um, It's very difficult. And when everybody else is running from harm, they're running towards harm, the good ones. Um, so it's, it's a hard time uh, that we're going through. And, um, you know, I just want to say I I believe in my race. You know, I think my race is superior to everything else on this planet. Uh, I think my race is about to rule over all other races, and I'm very proud of my race. And I'm talking about the human race. There's only one race. It's a human race. And I think we were put here to rule over all others. There's no difference. My grandmother was raised in 1909, and you got to understand what she's seen. Been raised in 1909, and she always taught me, Kenny. There's no black and white. There's just good and bad people. And that's just the way I look at it. It's just good and bad people. Period.
1: Where can people find you, Flex?
3: Uh, um, building my website. Uh, it'll be done hopefully in a soon here, and it's officialflexwheeler.com. Um, they can find me on my uh, Instagram, uh, officialflexwheeler. Uh, my YouTube, which I'm trying to figure out why people can't find it because I keep getting a lot of comments who can't find the YouTube, but I'll, I'll send you over the link uh, to that, but it's Flex Wheeler. Uh, I don't know why people can't find, but other than that, you can DM me or just email me at, uh, Flex Wheeler, uh, KenFlexwheeler at yahoo.com.
1: Awesome, man. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir.
3: Thank you so much, man. Enjoy, uh, you guys weekend. Nice my, my meeting you, bro. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you so much again uh, for allowing me to be on your show, man. I really appreciate it. God bless.
0: Catch yes. you later. Thanks, Flex. Right. See
1: you. Damn, that was amazing. Yeah. yeah. That was dope. Yeah, he, he was freaking awesome. I, I kind of knew it would you know be like that. I mean, he's very well-spoken. He's very philosophical. He thinks a lot about stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's... Uh, i know it. i knew it wouldn't be like hey we're going to talk about you know doing 20 sets of 20 (laughs) you know type of thing um even though we did we did throw a little bit of that in there Mm -hmm. it's just uh you know i i think that all of us have lifted long enough to understand that uh this is a lifestyle you know and and to really um whether you want to be super strong or you want to you know be a pro bodybuilder or, or however far you want to take your fitness it takes a lot of your mind to be able to push to certain certain uh specific uh points and he obviously uh had that
2: and then some to be able to do it yeah it, it's funny you're mentioning he's like a an old obi-wan but he legitimately he like when i think of like old obi-wan from the from the movies it's just like he's a jedi master
1: <laughs> he really <laughs> right? is yeah. he
2: really is like a jedi master <laughs> And not like I, I still am so surprised by just the level of transparency he had about himself, his flaws, his strengths, who he is, who he realizes and recognizes he is like beneath the whole persona. Like the fact that he was just so open about that is really because there's a lot of older individuals within that whole industry that will still put forward mm. that type of persona. And it's just like uh, that level of honesty is It's crazy to me it's it's great uh but it's
1: just it's also super complicated when you've been abused sexually of sexually abused and the different things he went through as a kid it just clouds everything else it Mm -hmm. makes everything else like you just you know i i don't understand what that means because i've mentioned many times I've, i've never had that in my background so i can i can only like speculate or imagine but um I think it just, it makes everything else like so unclear. You don't understand like you, you know, people that love you are hurting you. People that love you are, are doing things wrong to you. You don't know how to interpret that. It's hard to make sense of, uh, you may never know. You may never understand. You may never get it. Uh, you may never, it may, it just might be something that, that actually does never make sense to you. Like it might not, um, May may not have a logical explanation, even saying somebody was abused themselves. You know, my dad, you know, my dad had this happen to him and now he's doing this to me. It's like, you know, I don't think that really makes you feel any better, you know, so um, going through life is hard enough. And then when you have these other complications added to it uh, on top of, uh, you know, him. Him, you know, may, may, and maybe the self doubt and those things were caused from the sexual abuse and other things he went through. And he had to deal with that the whole time. And he's still dealing with it still trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And he's got uh, depression and uh, he's got his mental and physical harm and injuries. It's like, damn, man, that's a lot of stuff to, uh, to
2: unravel, but he's done a damn great job of it. What he said about opinions was really, I think, something that a lot of us can take away though because you know everybody a lot of people looking at him would be like oh that's the greatest bodybuilder of all time or greatest physique of all time but he plainly said that doesn't matter opinions don't matter it's factually i didn't win olympia but even so like in general no matter if somebody thinks you're this great or if they think you suck it's just just an opinion and it's not factual you just can't put much weight into it and And yeah he followed it up with uh
1: uh, people's perceptions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he does recognize that a lot of people do put him up on that pedestal, um, but I think he's not willing to. You know, I think he's not willing to put himself up on that pedestal. It is interesting, though. It does bring up something really interesting. I mean, you know, many um, that done polls like this. Uh, you know, what do men or what do you know uh, people find attractive about one another? Uh, it's like it's agreeable. You know that there's like. X, Y, and Z, you know, the person has this attribute, this attribute, um, what makes a, um, uh, what makes a flower more beautiful than a tree? I mean, if you sat down and wrote about it, like if all three of us sat down and wrote about it, I mean, we would probably start to come up with some things that we could agree upon that are similar Mm -hmm. to where we could say, yeah, the flower is prettier than the tree because the tree is just like gray. It doesn't have any unique characteristics. It doesn't really look that cool. So while it is kind of an opinion, it's kind of also not just opinion, uh, because within the guidelines of bodybuilding, um, he won a lot. Yeah. You know, he, he had a lot of victory. Right. And uh in a very highly competitive, how many people want to bodybuild, you know, and then how many people uh, become professional bodybuilders? And then how many people are gunning for those number one spots in those competitions? Uh, you know, it, it's so it's it's very modest of him to say, hey, you know, it doesn't really matter a whole lot. Well, like, it sort of matters. You know, if it didn't matter at all, then we wouldn't talk about Michael Jordan because he just wouldn't have any accomplishments. We'd be like, so what? He, a bunch of people think he's pretty good at basketball. Mm. you know but there's something agreeable there there's some traits where we're like no he's he's actually different than everybody mm-hmm. you know I, I think <clears throat> and you know something like this could be viewed as controversial the idea that we're all like equal or created equal I think is uh, somewhat of a fallacy especially when it comes to physically when it comes to physically there's just like no question that that's just not I, I don't think that, that would e- that would be in debate the way our minds work and the way our brains work Yeah, and and we all have, uh, we all have the same. Uh, rights, you know like that that 's not what i 'm talking about, but from a physical standpoint, Shack is way different than me, and I would imagine that he 'd kick my ass, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean, no matter what color ass yeah <laughs> I imagine he 'd kick my ass like, no matter what i'd what i 'd try to do, but yeah it just it 's great talking to somebody like that, and then uh you know having our friend in common uh Stan efforting and him telling those stories of Stan getting mad is amazing because i can 't picture Stan Mm-mm. uh getting mad at anybody it 's a <laughs> but, very scary image. Very red, <laughs> yeah, imagine Stan is like Stan is like a different level, strong too, like he's not Stan's not the guy where you're like, oh, he's just strong in the gym, mm-hmm. like that's not that guy he's he wouldn't be that way he would you would be like, oh my god, like you know i th- i think I think he'd be like unbelievably strong, I think he'd be stronger than you would anticipate, not weaker,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah,
0: you'd be like, whoops." <laughs> <laughs> Made the wrong guy mad. Yeah. I love what Flex was when um you know about sharing secrets and stuff, when he was saying like he he was like an open book and then you know but just went when he said that, because you know, in today's world everybody wants to get like ahead of everybody, nobody's really too open to share certain things. For him to say like, no, I didn't want to beat somebody beat somebody by holding information back. I wanted to be everybody at their best. He's like, I'd rather have that than the opposite that was really, I mean, this whole conversation was huge, but, you know, that was just one of the many things that he said where I'm like, damn, dude. he like, was people, dropping some bombs on people us, People don't speak that way. Yeah. You know, it's like, just incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He said, everything's a business
1: when money's involved, doesn't matter what it is. It's like, <laughs> whoa. Like, he was just, I mean, he was on fire. I think he's just like that all the time, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And that was great. The, uh, uh, glitz and glory versus grit and gory. Mm -hmm. I wrote that down. I I wrote it down too. What the hell? I mean, this is a, this is a super smart
2: dude.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I like what he said about happiness, you know, being a choice, you know, it's something I talk about quite a bit. And um, look, if that guy can say it, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like I know that again, I understand that people say, Hey, easy for you to say because things are, you know, going good for you or whatever. But, and I mentioned this before as well. Like when I, I found it interesting, too, that he said he was a big dreamer, which that's interesting. When you don't have a lot of confidence, how do you dream about, you know, you're dreaming about stuff that doesn't sound uh, logically uh, like in your future. But good for him for doing that, because otherwise he wouldn't be who he is. It's a bit of an escape. Yeah, yeah, probably. I've always Mm -hmm. I feel like I've always been that way. Mm -hmm. But I I was going to say is that before I ever did anything, somebody would say, oh, you're just, you know. You're unrealistic, you know, that you're just you're just a dreamer. And they would just kind of, you know, throw out whatever I would say, whatever I wanted to do. They wouldn't give it any uh, validation. Right now they say, oh, it's easy for you to say you're rich. (laughs) And it's like, you can't have it both ways, you know, you can't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was saying I was dreaming of these things, you know, before I ever did anything. And now I have some other things I'd like to do, you know, and it's like, man, people just want to, they want to throw out an excuse so that they don't have to, uh, I think maybe place that same thing on themselves because it might be too much of a burden. It might be too hard of a thing to carry, you know, mm-hmm.
2: that is what it comes down to though. There's always going to be some reason why your head, like for example, um, Will Smith's kids they're actually really really good artists like jaden and will their music's really good but when you when you like when i've talked to people about it they're like well i mean look they're they're will smith's kids they have all this money they have all this time to get into that of course they're good (laughs) you know it's like there's always going to be some excuse why somebody's better at you than something Mm
0: -hmm. uh what uh what's the the son's name you just jaden jaden he was pretty good on um damn it there's a netflix show and I had the kind of the same thought of like people were probably like, oh, he's just there because you know His dad put him there or whatever, but like he mm-hmm. did really good on the show and I can't remember what the hell it's called uh, even Karate Kid. He was dope. I, I don't remember watching that one. But but yeah, anyway, sorry it was, it was a Netflix show that I was really into and I can't remember what it was called mm-hmm. The get down is that, uh, uh, Oh, was he in that? I mean, I know what the show you're talking about it is yeah you sure it was him? I'm, I, I could be wrong. I, maybe I am wrong. But I is thought like he, he was—he was, was the one that turned out being There's Some
2: DJ stuff in it. Yeah, you're right. He wasn't it. Yeah, he, he, he wasn't. Ended up being the gay one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was good. He
0: was really good. Yeah. I completely turned around on like that whole thought of being like, ah, he's
2: just Will's kid. But no, he was fucking badass. <laughs> that is a weird habit that we have, huh? Like mm-hmm. even if, because like e- even if you don't say it, there is some part of your mind that thinks something like that, and you'll catch yourself. Isn't that kind of weird?
1: I think that's odd. Yeah, we are all guilty mm-hmm. of it. Like, mm-hmm. even with Stan. Like, Stan's success. Like, if you don't know him, you're just like, well, he's probably, like, wealthy because his parents were wealthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just easy to, like, just pass it off and just mm-hmm. say, ah, oh, it's... you Because, like, you want an For some reason, you want to have an excuse. You need to have, like, a defense mechanism, you know? Uh, I, I guess it's just a way to calm yourself down about maybe not having some <laughs> certain things that... uh that you want to have or feel that you should have. I did find a lot of his language very interesting. I find the way that people, the way people communicate very interesting. Like he said a lot, a lot of things that I don't agree with. Um, but like when he was kind of saying like how, what other people are doing is like poking holes in what he's doing or, and I know he's kind of like halfway joking, but he's talking about like Stan still hitting up these lifts and, and these things and, um, uh, or, uh, you know, what I've done with marketing or something like that. And it's just like, that's just, I just, I think it's unhealthy. You know, I I don't, I just don't think it's, uh, I think it adds to his, depression, because uh, there's no reason for him to think that. I mean, this is a... You, know, you can't be more... Aco- I can't think of somebody that's more accomplished than a Flex Wheeler. I mean, he's, you know, out of all the people we've had on the show, I mean, he's right up there, you know, and out of all the t- episodes that we've done, yeah, uh, you know, I... I would have to like review everybody that we had. But I mean, shit, he he would be top five, probably mm-hmm. in terms of difficulty of what he did and for how long he did it for. So I'm not poking holes
0: in anything that guy's doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's mm-hmm. kicking ass, yeah. and I think, and, and I don't because he said he was a real highlighting his weaknesses is what he was saying mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I meant to say him saying that he was a realist and saying like it doesn't matter what I believed there was times where I believed I should have won and I didn't so what good did it do <laughs> right. I'm just like man like I, I, I don't know like that's when he, he hadn't even admitted it or said it at that point but I'm like man he sounded like he was very depressed like his whole career mm-hmm. and it's like shit dude like he's He's working really hard in the gym, and he's also working inside. You know, like I can't even imagine, like the willpower behind this guy because dude, to be dealing with both those things like that on the highest level, and still like say I, I hate myself. It's like oh my gosh, like fuck. Like,
1: yeah, you know, it's brutal. And I, I think that's what made him amazing. Mm. You know, I think that's a a thing that that uh, kind of or at least that's, you know, what he what he turned it into, because
2: he turned himself into kind of another person. Yeah. And I mean, if we look at it like, you know, we have all these individuals that are all like on self-development and strengthening mm-hmm. the mind on this podcast. But uh, you, you can see that it, you still put in the work. You'll still do some amazing things. So yes. he told us all the things that he was going through at that point that made it so difficult for him up here. But he was still outworking everybody Mm -hmm. his first Olympia. He placed second, which I don't like what the fuck You don't hear people placing second at the very first Olympia ever He won five Arnold classics in a row, which was never done up until that point That's like the second show up to the Olympia so it's just like he may have been going through all these things, but it didn't take away from the fact that he was the hardest worker in the room or one of the absolute Mm -hmm. hardest workers in the room which allowed him to reach those levels You know, so that's that's a big consistent theme right there. A badass, yeah. That was incredible. Damn, (laughs) stunned. Yeah freaking awesome
1: stuff mm-hmm.
0: take us on out of here andrew all righty y'all thank you everybody for checking out today's episode uh thank you again flex Wheeler. that was incredible i laughed i legit cried back here and i became inspired so thank you for that um if you're not following the podcast on instagram please do so at mark bell's power project at mb power project on tiktok and twitter my instagram is at i am andrew z and Sima, where you at
2: and Sima and yang on instagram and youtube and SEMA Yin Yang on tiktok and twitter mark Thanks again, Mr. Flex Wheeler, for coming on the show
1: today. That was uh, actually just amazing and uh, some really great insight. Strength is never a weakness. Weakness is never strength. Catch you all later.
0: So that's it for today's podcast. Thank you, everybody, again, for checking this one out. I hope you guys are inspired just like we are. Um, thank you, everybody, that's been rating and reviewing the podcast. Right now, we want, we wanted to give a huge shout-out and thank you to But I'm Not a Rapper. And you spell rapper like candy rapper, uh, so not like an MC rapper. Anyways, uh, I'm Not a Rapper it says, love the crew, quote, Mark and Seema and Andrew are so fun to listen to. Whether I'm working out, driving, or cooking at home, they always drop gems that make each day better. They're like a group of friends that you're there hanging out with. Thanks for all that you do, guys. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, Man, just seriously, thank you. If you're listening right now, if you guys want to hear your name read on air, please head over to iTunes, drop us a rating, write in a review, and you could hear your name on air just like our friend, but I'm not a rapper. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace.